was a cool cat, the only witness to the crime, besides the stench of marijuana or reefer on the streets. That cat was innocent of any vice. I knew just by looking at him. The explosion that rocked our town in early July had rocked more than just my bourbon stash. I'm a private eye. They said there were two vagrants who were killed in the explosion. Good riddance, I said. But now I got this cat coming to me and begging for answers. So I went down to the blast site to nose around and look for clues. Looked like one of the crowd bunkers I saw in Normandy. Besides some twisted metal and a pile of dirty laundry, all I found was a record. I took it back to the office and told Nellie to put it on. I poured a drink as the record played, and what I heard changed how I saw man as even a halfway noble creature. This is not a bad plan, really. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's better than What's-His-Face, who's like, I don't want to take over Ireland, and I've got no wine, so I'm gonna <laughs> march on London! <laughs> Robert Devereaux. Yeah, that's the name. What a fucking loser. Lucky at Vobi six sermo radiofonicus in quo duos mania motorum ag legemus ut dissertemus habitas rescue eorum cuie nomen es conloquimur de manes ego hospes fester sum eronsi nomene atque ad sumus cum comite meo praecelente et hoco hospite James D. Can saluta, James! Varus! It's... it's really you! Nope, it's just me, Aaron C., and I am a papist now. What? It's relevant. Well, welcome to We Talk About Dead People. Huh. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurs best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Robert Catsby and Mehmed Talat Pasha. <laughs> I'm certain you pronounced both of those names wrong. Excellent. That's it's what Robert we're all Catsby. about. It's, now you got me saying it. Robert Catsby. Robert Catesby. Oh, it's Catesby. Okay. It's Catesby, yeah. And Mehmed Mehmed Talat Pasha, right? I don't know. Sure. Isn't the H pronounced like like that? I, I, don't, I don't fucking know. care. Fuck this guy. I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who studied uh, Arabic. He would know. Okay, well, I don't know. I'm Arabic and Farsi. Well, yeah. hey, not we should Turkish, ask so. him. Well, Let's call him right now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Let's okay. Okay. Shall we head to the history lab instead? Let's do it! Remember, remember the 5th of November. The gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. There's more on this episode than Guy Fox. Get ready. So, James. Yeah. Tell me. Mm -hmm. If you had to shoot someone right now, who would that be? What the fuck? I'm not answering that. Okay, okay. If you had to shoot someone tomorrow... I'm not gonna shoot anyone! Fine, Jesus. Better question. If you had to... Anyone, who would that be? What the 
<laughs> Computer, please bring up Robert Catesby and Talat Pasha. Affirmative, my lord. Okay. okay. So, Aaron, yes. what is Robert Catesby best known for? Catesby. It's not fucking Catesby. <laughs> it's Catesby. 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 Uh, you plebe. All right. Robert Catesby was best known for leading the gunpowder plot of 1605. Oh, boy. Not Guy Fox. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't Guy Fox. It was Robert Catesby. Oh, okay. Uh, and he has a very interesting story. Did he wear a mask? Uh, no, he didn't. Oh. Nobody wore a mask, actually, because they were not cowards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, then. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what did this guy look okay. like? <laughs> Here's what he looked like. Uh, there's actually no other way to say this. Robert Catesby is fantastic. Oh, yes. <laughs> Here's a man who looks so goddamn dapper, it literally puts everyone else to shame. <laughs> to start, he's wearing a top hat. But oh. it's not just any top hat. It's a white top hat. And this thing <laughs> looks like it has a golden ship pin stuck to it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to make matters even more fantastic, it's tastefully off-kilter as all hats ought to be. Yep. Right? So mm -hmm. it's slightly tilted. Uh, the clothes this guy is wearing are just... They're just, uh... His shoes have flowers on them. Oh, yes. He has a cape made from fur. <laughs> oh He's got God. a knife. He's got a beard. He's got a popped collar. He's wearing stockings on the outside of his pants. Oh. On the outside of his pants. Yep. Okay. This is one dope-ass motherfucker. And on top of that, he's sneering at you because you're worse than him. Obviously. Obviously. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what's, uh, what's, what's this guy Talat Pasha best known for, James? Well, Talat Pasha is best known for being literally the Hitler before the real Hitler. No way. Oh, yes. No. Definitely. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. Hitler was the worst. I mean, he was. Well, he was. <laughs> he was the worst. One of the worst. So, when you're saying this guy was literally the Hitler before the real Hitler... What I'm saying is, is that beside Henry Ford, uh, <laughs> this is the guy that Hitler looked up to and copied, basically. Did he really? Yes. Wow. Yep, it's gonna be oh. a f horrible episode. <laughs> I am so not ready for this. I, know. I gotta get into dark mode. Yeah. Like, uh, yep. Things are real bad right now, James. <laughs> Did you consider what it would be like to be one of these people back then? Now I'm mocking oh, myself. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, so uh, what did this bastard look like? Well, Talat Pasha looks like a very well-dressed Turkish man. Okay. He's wearing a nicely fitted and pressed suit in basically every picture. All right. He wears a fantastic fez hat placed perfectly on his forehead. He has a beautiful mustache that looks like it's neatly groomed every day. He's got a bit of a chubby belly. Oh. Oh, uh, and his hands are just drenched in blood. What? Uh, what? There it is, folks. Oh, this God. is literally one of the guys who inspired Hitler and the Nazis in more ways than one. Later on down the line, fuck this guy. <laughs> really? That fuck bad? his memory. <laughs> oh, fuck geez. everything about him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. It's that bad. But I'm, I'm, I'm sure, James, uh -huh. I'm sure there are apologists out there for him today. Oh, you have no idea. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. You thought Holocaust denying was big? Just wait. Oh, God. Just Worse wait. Worse than that? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't Jesus know the numbers, Christ. but it's still up there. <laughs> Shit. Okay, yeah. well, I need to get out of laughing 
idiot mode here. Yeah, I, um, I will say to our listeners out there, uh, this epi- there's a lot of death in this episode and genocide yeah. and rape and torture and murder. Oh, and fuck. I put it all in there because most people don't know about it, and we need to tell people, right? Well, let me let me just say something real quick, mm-hmm. okay? Because I've heard of the Armenian genocide, right. right? But I've never heard of Pasha. Okay, yeah. Or Pasha, or whatever. Sure. Um, I don't give a fuck if it's Pasha or Pasha, apparently. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it's like, is it Hitler or Heitler? I don't know. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So yeah, uh, I have no idea what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, I'll be honest. Yeah, with you. Yeah. I read one, one, uh, one novel. I think about this. I think I read the same ago. novel. Yeah. Yeah, we probably read the same novel. Read one novel about this years ago. That's all I know. Yep. Okay. So and most people we're don't all going even on this ride about... together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say? James? Well, most people don't even know about the Armenian Holocaust. Uh, so that's what we're gonna call uh, talk about today. Um, oh, Jesus. Just a little bit of a disclaimer. All right. Yeah, and. But first, <laughs> first, first, let's uh, let's warm up a little bit, huh? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, warm up to the genocide. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so we're going to talk about Robert Catesby's early life. Go and for it. I'll have you know, Robert Catesby was born on March second, fifteen seventy-two, in Lapworth, Warwickshire, England. And I'm probably pronouncing that wrong because everything is pronounced wrong in England. <laughs> well, and we oh. pronounce everything wrong on the show. Yeah, <laughs> but this is a problem already that he's born in Lapworth, Warwickshire, England. Why? All right. Why, you ask? He's, well, it's 1572, uh, just 72 years after the first cookbook was ever printed in English. Okay. But what does a cookbook have to do with anything? Just wait. Actually, it has nothing to do with anything. I just thought that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Okay. so here's the thing about England in the 1500s, okay? It was a goddamn shit show. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You had Henry VIII. Okay. All right? Yeah. And I I could just stop there. (laughs) Right. uh, But... I don't want to stop there, um, because the point is, he's in power, and this is where the troubles begin. Okay. Uh, but not exactly, because a lot led up to Henry VIII, which is... Which is problematic. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about it, because I'm not a professional English historian, right? Right. But Henry VIII, who we will get to on this show at some point, mm-hmm. uh, was fucking everything up. <laughs> <laughs> so he was at he found himself at war with Scotland and France. Good. Uh, actually invaded France at one point, nice. uh, which didn't go so well. <laughs> uh, and then there was called what was called the Divorce Crisis of Henry VIII. Ah, yes. <laughs> and what was the Divorce Crisis? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> what, maybe James has... No. James, do you have a... Well... I have an idea. What's I, the I just crisis? know the little poem. <laughs> oh, the poem? Divorced, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. What? Isn't that Henry VIII? Am I? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> he had six wives, right? Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. he had six wives. We'll know, and... we'll know when we actually study him <laughs> later on. <laughs> but that's what happened to all of them. That's how you remember the order. Oh, he divorced yeah, yeah, yeah. the first, beheaded the second, the third one died, then he divorced the fourth, oh. the fifth one he beheaded, and the sixth one survived. Oh. Oh. Okay. Mm. Well, uh... I didn't know that, because I haven't studied Henry VIII. The most I know about Henry VIII is that he has badass armor, because I went to the oh, Met. Oh, yeah. In New York City. Oh, nice. And they have his armor there, and it has, like, dents in it from bullets. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's it's just fucking huge. And I think the bullets, the bullet dents were part of a test, because they would test armor mm-hmm. with by shooting them, by shooting the, you know, the breastplate, yeah. and then they would mark it with their little smithy signature and be like, it's been tested, <laughs> no one's gonna die in this shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so we're having a divorce crisis. Yes. And Henry... 
He's married. Right. Um, but he wants a divorce. Divorce is refused. So he started the goddamn Church of England. Good. And I can't remember <laughs> what the phrase is about the Church of England was started by the balls of Henry VIII, but it couldn't be more accurate. <laughs> uh, so basically what happens is that Henry VIII starts this church that's in direct conflict with Catholic teaching. Mm -hmm. um, starts his own structure of, of power within that church, bishops, everything. Um, and it just sends the whole goddamn Christian church and the whole of the West into disarray. Great. Just so this guy could marry someone else. Right. Yeah. Story of my life. Kill? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so anyway, after establishing the Anglican church, Henry VIII got back into wars with France and Scotland. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, France invades in 1545, prompting Henry VIII to start producing the Royal Navy, Ooh. which, as you may or may not know, went on to become the most powerful sea power in the world. Mm. No. Then Henry died. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After which, you know, he left behind a goddamn shockwave of religious and social troubles in England. Sure. Right? So there's a Catholic revolt because, you know, the Church of England was established so Henry VIII could get his rocks off. <laughs> uh, there's war, 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 insurrections, Catholicism is finally reinstalled as the official church. No more of this Protestant bullshit. Good. More war with France. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> the point is that England is extremely unstable. And that's where we find little Robert Catesby, born in 1572. Great. Yeah, so uh, it's the so the Church of England still exists, mm -hmm. and you've got these nobles who either identify with the Church of England or the Catholic Church or whatever, and they're constantly feuding with each other. Right. Um, and it's like it, little revolts, civil wars, executions, censorship, all that kind of shit's going on mm. all at once. Uh, and Catesby's parents are what are called recusant Catholics, which basically meant they didn't buy into the Church of England, and they didn't believe it was an actual church. Uh-huh. And they were, they were loud about it, too. Yeah, sure. Uh, which, at first, you know, at first it was, eh, it wasn't, it wasn't as big a deal, but, like, very, very quickly being Catholic or even, like, being like, eh, Church of England is a, is a, you know, a farce or sure. whatever. Uh, at first it wasn't, like, a big deal. Uh, but things go very differently later on. Oh, good. <laughs> so... Little Robert Catesby is born into this. He's he's seeing his dad. His dad was put in prison for years for being a Catholic and for helping Catholics do Catholic things. Mm -hmm. uh, so imagine with me, if you will, okay. what it might be <laughs> like to be Robert Catesby. You're watching the government persecute your parents because of their religion. Uh -huh. Your whole life long. And it might color your actions in the future. Right. Might. <laughs> so anyway, at 14 years old, Catesby goes to college at Oxford. And at this time, you had to swear an oath of supremacy, uh, uh, which basically <laughs> meant you had to swear that you believe the Church of England is the one holy and true church. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, and if you don't, they don't let you in. Yeah, you have to declare your allegiance to this church. So this is at Oxford? You're not allowed into the school? Yeah, this is at Oxford. Okay. It's, I mean, yeah, Church of England's like, good. Hey, bro. Sign here, or you can't get in. <laughs> so, that, that's like the yeah. basis of any educational system, or it should be at least. <laughs> My God. Yeah. So uh, that's exactly what happened in Germany, and in, in when the Nazis took power. By the way, you couldn't go places if you weren't in the Nazi party. Uh, Shit. That's just true. <laughs> so it's kind of equivalent in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not exactly equivalent, but pretty close. Uh, so anyway, Catesby refused to sign this little. Oath of supremacy. Good for him. Right? Yeah. Uh, good. Stand up for your principles, right? You know, yes. don't give in to this this governmental tyranny. Yeah. Right? Um, where you have to be in the Church of England, you know, in order to go to school. Yes. Right? You can't be Catholic. So he runs away, disappears for a while. Uh, you know, we don't really know much about what he was doing until 1593. Okay. What happens At which point year? he got... He married Catherine Lee. Mm. Uh, 
who is a Protestant. Mm. Yeah. Not good. So, well, you'll see. It actually serves a couple of functions. Uh, One, it allows him a little relief, because he's now married to a Protestant, which serves to associate him with, you guessed it, Protestants. Yes. Um, So, you know, it's sort of like... Well, we talked about the uh, racial things in Nazi Germany where you had, you if you married, like, a Jewish person, oh, you would be sure. killed. Yeah. Right? But they weren't killing people yet for this. There was, st- well, they, that's a fucking lie. <laughs> they were killing people for this shit, uh-huh. but just sort of selectively. Right. Um, and when they could get away with it. Yeah. But anyway, so being married to a Protestant takes a little heat off of him as well. Makes I mean. sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other function, of course, is that this woman is absolutely loaded. Oh. So, <laughs> financial problems, off the table, good for Catesby. Mm-hmm. Uh, except it's not all good for Catesby and Catherine. Shit. Their first son dies. No. But their second son survives, good. and he was baptized in a Protestant church. Uh, which, you know, keep in mind, Catesby's still a Catholic, right. uh, but he's going to Protestant church at the behest of his wife, who he loves. Oh, beautiful. Uh, and then she dies in 1598, oh, five gosh. years after they got married. Jeez. I know. So, just a fucking disaster. But he still has a son. Um, Right? Yeah, he still has a son. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we've got Robert Catesby all alone now, uh, with no reason to stay Protestant. Mm-hmm. And he's also look, probably looking for something to fill the new void in his life. And that's what we'll talk about when we come back to his adult life. Okay, so, well. Rocky start for Robert Catesby. Yeah, that's, uh, hmm. Uh, yeah. Yup, yup, yup. So, shall we go to Talat Pasha's he early life? He needs the Bible. What? Who needs the Bible? Robert Talat Pasha? Catesby. No. Robert Catesby is a fucking Catholic. Exactly. He needs the Bible. <laughs> That's actually true. Uh, yeah. So, uh, shall we, uh, shall we carry on into Talat Pasha? Yes. And he's not Talat a Pasha yet. He is a non-Pasha. He's a non-Pasha. This is a Pasha-free zone at the moment. Uh, okay. That's good. I need a safe space being a millennial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So, um... Yeah, go ahead, James. So take it away. For the moment, uh, Talat Pasha is Mehmed Talat, which is really okay. his his name, his actual name. Pasha just Mehmed. means okay. leader, basically. All right. Yeah. So Mehmed Talat was born in eight. Wait. What? So Pasha means what? Leader. Basically, yeah. Okay, I'm assuming that's related to Shah, somehow. <sighs> Maybe. So Talat Pasha, it's like kind of like Chairman Mao. The connection. <laughs> 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 it's the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> All right. So uh, he was born when? He was born in 1874 in the tiny town of Kirkali, which was on the little part of the Ottoman Empire that sticks into Europe. I got a question. Uh-huh. What the fuck is the Ottoman Empire? Oh, we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> I summarized the entire history of the Ottoman Empire into like a page. <laughs> oh, good. So we'll get. Good. Uh, I'll, I'll begin right. that with the uh, with his adult life when we get there. But just for now, just accept that there's an Ottoman Empire, and part of it is in Europe, right? Okay, it's, yeah, all okay. right. Ottoman Empire, little bits in Europe, yep. got mm-hmm. So, interestingly enough, Mehmed was not really Turkish. Uh, he was oh. primarily of Gypsy and Pomak descent. Okay. And Pomak, it's probably not how you say it, but Pomak basically means somebody who is both Slavic 
and a Muslim, so kind of okay. an Eastern European white Muslim in a way. Is that a, is that applicable still today? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm just so. interested about the in the word. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So he was he's a, he's Slavic and, and he's a gypsy a and he's a Muslim. Yep. Okay. Anyway, Mehmed's dad worked as a junior civil servant for the Ottoman Empire, and Mehmed's mom never shows up on the Wikipedia page. So great start. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, but Mehmed Talat grew up tall and strong, had very gruff manners, and starts his young life out well by failing school. <laughs> Take that, Talat. <laughs> Well, it's I don't know anything it's about really it. just... bad that he failed school, because here's the oh, thing. fuck. He got in a fight with his teacher, and he was booted from civil preparatory school. Oh. Which teaches you how to be civil, I guess, and, like, how to work in within your culture, within your society. Oh. And he gets kicked out of it. Oh! Which, <laughs> if you know anything about him, or what's coming... He really needed to finish school. Like, he yeah. needs to learn how to live in society. Anyway. And, okay, okay. Anyway, so he gets well, kicked out. Is this like is this like Hitler getting kicked out of art school? P very possibly. Okay. Yeah. Fuck. Well, the, the connections between the two men are really astounding. Really? Yeah, and we'll get into this later. Uh, okay. But first, something interesting. Well, actually, we'll get to that in a second. So... Uh, Mehmed, he has no degree now, but he finds work as a postal clerk for a telegraph company. Wait. Uh-huh. Wasn't, didn't, didn't Tesla do something like that? Oh, yeah. did he? He worked at a telegraph company. Oh, yeah, company. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as an engineer, not a clerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so he's basically Tesla. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, For Tesla's kidding. sake, let's, uh, let's say no. Okay, no. Yeah. All right, carry on. So Sorry, he... I'm interrupting you with everyone. Oh, that's <laughs> fine. Um, the more the better. So... Okay. Yeah, he's, he's working as this, as this clerk, and the pay just sucks ass. So, right. Mehmed starts doing some other work on the side. And what's interesting is he starts teaching Jews in the city of Adirn how to speak Turkish. But what... Wait, so why is that interesting that he's teaching Jews? Uh, because, first of all, he's Muslim, okay. and he's teaching Jews. And if you know anything okay. about Muslims and Jews, is they oftentimes aren't exactly friends... Oh, yeah, I actually have heard about that. <laughs> yeah, something, yeah. <laughs> I'm tugging on my collar right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. Also, and just know that the Jews in the area are a minority. Uh, okay. So it's just interesting when we compare this to Mehmed's later life that he's spending times, time with minorities, and he's actually helping them, because this is going to change later on down the line. Oh, shit. Yeah, but anyway, uh, for now, he's teaching Jews how to speak Turkish. So good for him. Okay. Uh, yes. And it actually doesn't stop here. When Mehmed was 21 years old, he fell head over heels in love with a Jewish girl. And uh, what happens next is kind of confusing, so just hang on. I've got... F I'm gripping my... Tabernacle? What the fuck? I don't know. I was <laughs> thinking of a Jewish word. <laughs> Was gonna say that. If I was gripping anything Jewish, it would be a menorah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd do the Ark of the Cop. Oh, no, then I would die. Shit. <laughs> Just turn into the guy from Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So he's he's interested in this Jewish Yeah, girl. they're seeing each other. But she's actually okay. the daughter of the headmaster who he is working for. And remember, oh. she's Jewish. He's Muslim, so. Right. Eh, eh. Uh, but maybe this could be overlooked, uh, for the young lovers, except that one day the headmaster catches Mehmed sending a telegraph that reads, Things are going well. 
I'll soon reach my goal. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, okay. So, remember that this is the Ottoman Empire, and they have a million enemies at this point. Also, okay. it's just a few years before World War One. So the government freaks out and immediately arrests Mehmed because maybe this dude is a spy, right? Well, just because he said he was going to reach some goal? Yes. And he sent a telegraph where, exactly? Well, we're not sure. Now, oh. Mehmed claimed that the message was to his girlfriend, and she too came forth and testified that the message was for her. And finally, the authorities finally decided that, yeah, okay, fine, Mehmed was just sending his girlfriend a telegram. But come on, like, the message <laughs> says things are going well, I'll soon reach my goal, which is, which is kind of incriminating and not at all romantic. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You should have listened to our fake episode number one for some excellent dating advice. <laughs> he was born in the right era. <laughs> That's true. It's possible he did read that book. You don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so the Ottoman authorities decide that Mehmed can, let, can be let go and doesn't have to spend two years in prison. Oh, okay. wait. Actually, no. We're going to exile him to Thessalonica because he's a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's where all the dumbasses go, is Thessalonica. Oh, shit, yeah. we just pissed off that city. Hmm. We lost our whole Thessalonican demographic. <laughs> Thessalonian, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, you're right, Thessalonian. Yeah, I read the Bible, I know. It's a book in the Bible, yeah. yeah. Two books in the Bible, right? Or three, is it two or three? I can't remember. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Hebrews and the Hebrews book of James, James, book of John, first and Oh, man, we were brainwashed, were we? John, Jude, Jude and Revelation. <laughs> Wow. I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, sorry. So he's in Thessalonica. Yep, and he's forced to leave his girl behind, but he's allowed to work as a postal worker in Thessalonica, which, like, my dream job. You know, I uh, hold on just a second. Yeah. It's so interesting how, how low these people start, typically. Right. You know? Like, he's a postal worker! Well, he's like a clerk, you, too. He's the lowest yeah. rung of the postal world. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. It's like, you know, Mao started that way. Yeah, that's and true. And Trotsky started that way. I know Stalin did, even though we haven't covered him yet. Yeah, well, we're going to cover Stalin someday. Oh, yes. We will. Oh, yes. You better watch out, Stalin. We're coming for you. We won't be <laughs> Stalin to get to you. <laughs> we probably will yeah, be, Yeah, we though. will be, yeah. we got to space out these big names. We do, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, anyway, so we've got so he's Talat Pasha. Yeah, he, not Pasha yet. No, no Mehmed. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mehmed. Talat. And he's in Thessalonica yep. and he's working as a postal worker, and it's 1908, and he's 34, and he's happily married to another gal he met. Yes, right? yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, done. I'm not reading a script. We don't have a no, script. No, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So he's married this other girl, and he, he makes his way all the way up to becoming the head of the Thessalonica postal office. So great wow, for him. At 34. Good yeah. For him. <laughs> Which sounds like a, a fair life, right? Fair work, yeah. fair wife, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, sure. though, we're only two paragraphs into his Wikipedia article, oh, uh, and there's so much bullshit that'll come on down the line. Just wait. It gets worse. I'm not ready for this, it's, because right uh, now he just seems like a mild-mannered postal worker. Yeah, he seems like a decent guy. Like, a really decent yeah. guy. Um, so I've got to wonder, like, and I don't know what happens next, I really don't, but where did it start? Yep. You know? Where did it start? Where did it start? Where did it start? Mm hmm I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. All right. We'll figure that well, out. Well, it probably... Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. That joke is fucking stupid. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, 
So, Robert Catesby's adult life, shall we go? Do you want to go right in, or do you want to take a break? It's up to I'm you. good to go. I'm, I'm ready I'm to go. I'm good to go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's, let's keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going to Robert Catesby's adult life. Uh-huh. All right. So, we left Robert Catesby. His wife was dead. Oh. Right. And he's trying to fill the void. You know, classic John Wick-style <laughs> shit. Um, not exactly. Not at all, oh. actually. <laughs> <laughs> but he's sad, you know? Mm. He's lost his wife. Yeah. Um, and then there's in 1601, there's this thing called the Essex Rebellion. Hmm. And remember, Protestants and Catholics, not uh, happy yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. You know, just not doing well. Uh, which is so weird, because today I, I don't see that... Well, obviously there's not murderous animosity. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Fuck the bloody papists. <laughs> we can make that joke because one of us is a Catholic. Well, That's not true. <laughs> Neither of us. Neither of us. Oh, never mind. We're not even Christians. See, I'm, I'm Orthodox, so I look at the Catholic and Protestant fights and just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> just laugh all the way 3,000 years ago. I don't know. 3,000? 3,000? What are we saying? Okay. I'm completely out of I'm in a right wacky now. mood today, I'll tell you. I'm in a good mood today. Good. Things feel good right now. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, good. Yes. Anyway, so there's this Essex Rebellion right. in 1601. Robert Caseby finds himself a little bit caught up in it. Mm-hmm. So here's the story of the Essex Rebellion, all right? Yeah. So there's this guy named Robert Devereux, uh, who was a shitty, shitty leader. <laughs> uh, long story short, he was, sorry, excuse me. Uh, long story short, he was some earl, earl, <laughs> who was made Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. So, remember, Ireland and England are not exactly friends right now when, at this point in history. When have they been friends? Uh, apparently today they're friends. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah. Remember this whole subjugation and total oppression thing we learned about in the Liam Lynch episode? Yeah. Three yeah. times? <laughs> yeah. So this guy is one of the faces of the English oppression of the Irish. Oh, God. Right. So the good news, though, is that he sucks. <laughs> good. <laughs> He's sent to Ireland to put down a series of revolts. Uh, going on over there with one of the largest expeditionary forces ever sent to the land of the Lucky Charms. Um, and even with all these people, he just fucks it up. Okay. <laughs> he just fucks it up, you see? So Devereux took that huge force and got in a bunch of squabbles that went nowhere. Uh-huh. Uh, he also ho- squandered his funding, I'm assuming, on blackjack and hookers. <laughs> right. Uh, and pretty j- much did fucking nothing in <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> Except he did sign a truce. Uh, yeah, oh. he made a truce with the Irish. Wait. Which... Maybe that's a good thing, but it pissed off the authorities who were interested in oppressing the Irish. Of course, yeah. Right. So they're like, dude, get the fuck out. (laughs) Right. But, you know, he's still there, and they're like, you know, stay over there, we'll be there in a second. But he goes back to England. Yeah. uh, Where he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be in Ireland. Yeah. So he gets fired and is put on house arrest. Fair. And then the unthinkable happens. He becomes a Arab. What the fuck? <laughs> I thought that was going to be he becomes a pancake, but, you know, that's... Well, that's, uh, whatever. That, of course, would never happen uh, in this situation. It doesn't meet the right conditions for the Doppler effect. Ah, that's all. true. <laughs> right. The Doppler effect so, requires three pounds of sugar. Yes, it does. And he does not have three pounds of sugar. Um, Only potatoes. He has a bowl of Lucky Charms, <laughs> which he stole from the Irish. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the... the the unthinkable happens. Mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth, who's the queen, uh, <laughs> refused to renew his government-granted monopoly on sweet wine. Huh. 
Um, which was how he made his money. Sure. So the guy goes bankrupt. Yeah. And now he's pissed the fuck off with leadership in England. Oh right? no. <laughs> so this is a repeating. This is a repeating for different reasons than Guy Fox and Robert Catesby later. Mm-hmm. Um, he's pissed off because the government is like, haha, Well, you did something we didn't like. You made a truce to the Irish. So now you're gonna go bankrupt. Yeah. Sorry. You know. So anyway, Devereux, this shitty, shitty leader, uh, starts hosting other people who are pissed off with the queen at his house, hmm. called the Essex House. Uh-oh. Um, so, little little fomenting of rebellion here. Um, and these people start making plans to overthrow the government. Uh, why? <laughs> because! Because they're pissed off at the government right. for stealing their monopoly on sweet wine and other reasons. Probably he was with... Well, definitely he was allied with a lot of Catholics. Sure, yeah. Um... In fact, one of those Catholics was Robert Cates. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So, three days later, some of these people basically spill beans on the whole thing. <laughs> so, their, their little rebellion existed for exactly three That's, days before hmm. they were found out. Okay, fair. So, <laughs> uh, what's an upstart to do? Uh. Stage the overthrow immediately, oh, of course. Yep. So, on February 8th, the Queen sends some people to bring Devereux to court. Uh, And Earl Devereux takes these messengers hostage, like you do, Mm -hmm. gathers 200 of his followers, which he has, and marches on London. (laughs) And then he's rightfully labeled a traitor, because that's what he's doing. Um, Like, laudable or not, he's still definitely a traitor. Sure. Um, and a whole bunch of his followers are like, you know, once they figured out that, oh shit, we're, we're committing treason, mm. they leave. They're like, never mind, fuck this, I want to go back home and, And there's you 200 know. of them. <laughs> yeah, and so they, they want to go back home and, you know, tweet about, you know, hashtag resist or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Instead, instead of doing something, so they just leave. Right. Um, but one of these people who doesn't go home... Mm. He's kind of forced to. Um, is Robert Catesby? Oh. Like it's a complicated story. We don't exactly know what he was doing. But he's he there. was wounded. He was wounded in in this, so you can pretty much assume that he was involved in the actual resistance. Yeah, you know, not the Twitter yeah. resistance. Um, so he goes. Robert Catesby goes home. He was there. That's what's important. But Devereux, we'll finish up his story. Um, so Devereux, like when he realizes he's losing support, just turns right the fuck around and goes home, hmm. <laughs> where he discovers that his hostages have escaped. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So then English soldiers arrive at the Essex house with Devereux presumably hurrying to load the revolver kept in his desk, you know, yeah. spilling bullets all over yeah. the place. <laughs> like the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Yes. So Devereux burns all the evidence of this bullshit uprising, surrenders, and is executed as a traitor in the Tower of London. Right. So that's the end of Earl Cates, or Earl Devereux. Yeah, right. makes sense. But what became <laughs> what of What a Robert fucking Cates loser. <laughs> That's just the biggest fuck-up of events I've heard in a long time. (laughs) His whole career. Down the drain. Wow. Fuck you, I'm gonna rise up. Oh, wait, nobody's supporting me. Gonna go home, right? So, the SX Rebellion may have been justifiable, but it was led by a guy with absolutely no balls. (laughs) Or why? Right? And and we can say that... (laughs) Or why? And we can say that comparatively. Yeah. Because later on, we're gonna hear about some revolutionaries who did have the gonads to get this shit moving. Okay. So, anyway, so he's dead, right? Yeah. Uh, And Queen Elizabeth, the monarch that Devereux was trying to oust, is, you know, at this point, really, really anti-Catholic. Uh-oh. She's totally on on board for the Church of England thing. Yeah. Um, But in 1603, she's succeeded by James I, um, Hmm. who is known for being much more tolerant. Falsely, I will add. Oh. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, James I isn't more tolerant. Like, people thought he was, but he wasn't. In fact, after discovering that his wife, Anne, had received a rosary from the Pope, he exiled almost every Catholic priest in England. 
and then reinstated recusancy fines, uh, which is to say, you're fined for being a Catholic. Oh god, okay. Yeah, so it's sort of like the, uh, where did that happen before? Where were you fined for being of a particular religion? I can't remember. Um, well, in a lot of history, Muslims run, who run countries by Sharia law, that's, I, I think it's called the, the Dhimmi or something, it's like D-H-I-M-M-I, I believe, okay. and it's a tax you have to pay if you're a non-Muslim. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that can't be the only place it's happened. Oh, no, I'm sure not. Uh, <laughs> Certainly not. Well, obviously it happened in England as well. Yeah, I know Jews have had to have to pay certain fines and for living in oh, certain yeah, countries well, in, like, the medieval ages. Christ, of course they have. Yeah. Uh, more than fines, too. Oh, for well, sure, yeah. Uh, religious oppression, everybody. It's not oh, a good thing. We're, yeah, we're going to so, get into more of that, too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying I have a problem with religion necessarily, by the way. I'm just saying right. religious oppression is a little bit different. Yes. It's, it's it's like political oppression. It's just oppression. Actual oppression. Mm -hmm. Bad. All bad. Yes, yeah, exactly. Don't care. Yeah. So Catesby is paying these recusancy fines. Yeah. His all his priests are being kicked out. Right? Yep. And he's pissed the fuck off. Sure. Yeah. So, and remember, his wife's dead. He's already been involved in one rebellion, which didn't go anywhere because the guy leading it was, you know, Robert Devereux, who was a loser. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he takes things into his own hands. And Catesby comes up with what's called the gunpowder plot. Oh. But hold up. Wait. Wait, you may be saying, I thought Guy Fox came up with the gunpowder plot. Yeah. Uh, well, if you thought that, you're a little less ignorant now. Oh. Uh, because Guy Fox was not the mastermind of the gunpowder plot of 1605. No, sir. He was a big part of it, though. Uh, and we'll get there. And he, there's a reason he's the figurehead of it. He didn't start it, but there's a reason he's the figurehead but of it. But V for, for Vendetta is such a perfect movie. How could they get that <laughs> It wrong? is. I love that movie. Just I just watched movie. it. I watched it. It's not even fun. It's like, I mean, well, it is fun. Yes, for sure. Mm. But it's also like extremely pertinent <laughs> i watched it i watched it like three nights ago oh really almost all the way through and i well i skipped i skipped the second uh, i skipped about 15 minutes to get to the end because i was tired and wanted to go to bed hmm. um but fucking amazing you gotta go watch that movie if you haven't seen you want to know something um, i've yeah. only seen it once and i hated it after i finished it Jesus, now really? since then i've i've my my views on politics and religion have changed so I need to watch it again, because I think I would like it a lot more. Well, <clears throat> the thing about V for Vendetta mm -hmm. is it's it's absolutely correct, but the reason the message was lost on so many people when it came out um, was because it was a it was a movie about strictly, like, well, not strictly, but mostly religious oppression. Right. Right? So, you know, the, they were, the government's going after purity of the state and whatnot. And, yeah. You know, V goes after the Pope and everything, or some bishop or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's all about, like, it's all about Puritanism of almost a religious form. Sure. Classically religious. Um, but it applies to today so fucking well, even though there, it's not like religious oppression that's going on exactly right now. In some places, um, maybe, but yeah. In some places, maybe. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, modern day uh, yeah. modern countries. Yeah. We've got a little problem with uh, people being Puritans, you know. Yep, we do. Um, but anyway, so watch the movie. Okay. And yeah. apply it to today. And you're going to be like, holy fuck, how lucid is that? Mm. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, <laughs> So anyway, and, and we'll get into the actual story of the whole thing, because there's a reason it's legendary. Huh. Uh, actually, there's a lot of reasons it's legendary, because it's, 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 it is the story of Guy Fawkes, you know, standing up in the face of, you know, religious intolerance and oppression and that sort of thing. Okay, I'm excited um, now. Let's, let's do this. So yeah, get ready. Mm -hmm. um, so Guy Fawkes was not the mastermind of the gunpowder plot. He was a big part of it, but he was not the mastermind. Got it. Um, so the... 
the aim of the gunpowder plot is to kill James, which oh, you know, shit. that's an admirable goal. Oh. I'd like to I'd like to kill you. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh. It's King James, uh. which is not you. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Mm -hmm. Not yet. You just wait, everybody. Uh, James is going to run for president and then make himself king. Yes, it's called. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be his puppet. His puppet Pope. Uh, <laughs> propagandist or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, of course. Uh, so, anyway, so King James is not the only target, though, of the gunpowder plot. Mm -hmm. um, there are others, including the members of the Privy Council, okay. senior judges, and many members of the Protestant aristocracy, all the bishops of the Church of England, and the members of the House of Commons. That's a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. So, the idea is to blow them all up at once uh, and install King James's daughter, a Catholic sympathizer, as the new Queen of England. Huh. Okay. And the way they were going to do this was they were going to fucking kidnap her. Oh, jeez. Um, because she knew that they knew that she would be like, okay, this is, I'm I'm low key with you guys, mm -hmm. you know, um, probably. So that's the idea. Right. Anyway. Okay. So fair Catesby comes up with this idea and he starts recruiting people. He gets a man named Thomas Winter uh, involved. And it's it's spelled W I N T O R T O U R. So Winter, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say Winter. Mm -hmm. He gets Winter involved uh, by inviting him to his house and telling him straight up that he wants to blow up the House of Lords. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, yo, Winter, come on over. We're going to blow up the House of Lords. And Winter's like, the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, no, Winter is also a Catholic, uh -huh. um, and he's, he had some real sympathy, or I should say, empathy for Catesby's mission because his uncle had actually been executed for being a Catholic priest. Oh, there we go. Him. Yeah. So Winter's, you know, you know, pissed, right? And there's this other guy at the meeting, John Wright. Uh, who was a skilled swordsman and rebel. They thought he was the best in London. Hmm. Um, so they get that guy uh, involved, and they both help to agree Catesby accomplished this plot. Okay. Uh, so Winter goes to Flanders to see if he can drum up some support for this coup. Uh, and while there, he contacts Guy Fawkes, huh. uh, an ex-soldier uh, known for trying to convince the Spanish to invade England and reinstate the Catholic faith as the official Church of England. <laughs> wow. Right, because he's like seeing all this this shit going on. He's like, "Look, if we just didn't have the Church of England, mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't be seeing you know people exiled and executed for being priests and shit." Well, yeah, and England so. and Spain have a, a long history of duking it out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Spain didn't agree to help the rebels take over the goddamn country. <laughs> right. Um, even if it didn't, even if it did mean ending English persecution of Catholics, yeah. so they just weren't going to do yeah. it, right? It's a pretty bold move, right, to get involved in an international war. Well, um, and invading Britain doesn't go well usually. It's only been done, no. I, maybe three times. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and on top of it, you invade Britain, you're tech, you know, you're kind of invading a whole lot of other countries as well. Yes, yes, yeah, because they have allies and shit, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you're attacking, but they're the also a lot bigger at. They're a lot bigger at this point in history, too. Mm -hmm. It's not just the fucking island. It's the island and, you know, what, half the world? Something like that? They have a lot of a colonies. Lot of, so a lot of shit. <laughs> a lot of shit. Very complicated to invade England. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the Spanish are like, nah, we're not going to help you. Yeah. So now it's down to them, uh, these these conspirators. And besides Catesby, there are 12, uh, well, I should say, yeah, 12 conspirators involved to, in this plot to blow up the House of Lords. Okay. Right? Uh, and at first, there's only, like, five, and they have their first meeting on May 20th, uh, 1604, and from what we know, this meeting was likely held at the Drake Inn, which is where Winter was staying for the time being. So the original five are Catesby, Thomas Winter, John Wright, Guy Fox, and Thomas Percy. Wow. Is this, does this Drake, or, yeah, does this Drake Inn still exist? I don't know. That'd be Let's awesome Google it. it Let's see, Drake, I'm sure there's, like, five million Drake Inn, what, England? I guess. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm Googling it right now. We're going to see. We're going to find out. 
Uh, Drake in England. There's the Drake. There's Drake Manor Inn. It's probably still around. I don't think. Who knows? Yeah. Those taverns don't don't tend to disappear. Well, what? <laughs> yeah. They're the best place uh, ever. <laughs> yeah. Especially in in, uh, in England, European countries. Yeah, because you England don't have well. fifteen fucking TVs with <laughs> stupid sports in your face, no matter what angle you look at. I fucking hate that. Oh, don't me you? too. Like, you go to the pub, you're like, let's have a beer and you know talk, and it's like, you know. Uh, you know, UT is down by 15. <laughs> Let's see if they can pull it out of their ass and save the game. You know? and you're like, fuck off. Yeah. I want to drink my beer and eat my wings and talk to my friends, damn it. Yeah, okay, so... Not every bar has to be a sports bar is what I'm right. saying. Right, sports bars are the worst. <laughs> we, uh, I, went, I went to one just a few few weeks ago with my fiancé, and we counted... The room wasn't that big. We counted 42 TVs in that room. Really? It was so bad. And the thing is, is that every fourth channel, or every fourth TV had the same show. So there was probably, you know, ten TVs showing the same thing, and four sets of these. So no matter where you looked, you could see that game, or that interview, or whatever the fuck it was. So well, bad. At least it's not propaganda. <laughs> right. It's just a, uh, it's just uh, an opiate. The competition in sports is a great way of training our youth and preparing them for the workplace. <laughs> By comparison, you and I went to London for like one day together. Yes. How many TVs do we see in the pubs there? Uh, zero. Yeah, zero. Zero, not zero. But there were cameras everywhere. That's true, <laughs> and guys with machine guns. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the cops. Yeah, uh... <laughs> I'm Wait, never, what never the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but we did see big uh, cops with machine guns. Yeah. Which was interesting. I will never go back to London. <laughs> it was horrifying. I was like, hey, there's Big Ben, woo! And then there's like this guy comes around the corner you know, in body armor with a machine gun. I'm like, hey! <laughs> Don't kill me! Right, yeah. Yeah, um... You know, hail the state. Don't touch me. Please. I'm an American. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, real anyway. quick. I'm going to check our Twitter because I, I'm obsessing over it now. Uh, We've been getting so many followers coming in. Can we pause it for a second? I, I got to take a break. I, uh, what? Uh, some, what? Something came up. We got to do something. Oh. Uh, oh. Okay, what time is it? Uh. So anyway, enough about London. <laughs> so uh, let's see here. We've got... They start, so these guys start plotting, right? And there's five of them, yeah. of course. Catesby, Winter, Wright, Fox, and Percy. Yes. And they all swear an oath of secrecy on a prayer book, and then take mass when they discover that there's a Catholic priest in the next room. Oh, and, wow, that's Which is cool, the, actually. the most Catholic sequence of events I've <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have some friends who are cat. I love, I fucking love Catholics who take it seriously. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Because they're, they're so... How Reverent? Yeah, they're so they're so they're so interesting to talk to because they just take it seriously. So yeah. Anyway, for yeah. what that's worth, <laughs> that's what I'm envisioning <laughs> is my Catholic friends doing all this, uh, yeah, plotting a conspiracy. Uh, look out, government. <laughs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> after this, we're gonna blow up. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, we actually probably can't say. Probably that. can't say that on the fucking. <laughs> okay, so. They have their first meeting, they swear in a prayer book for secrecy and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they leave London and went home uh, until they could find a reasonable date on which to blow up everything. 
Right, yeah. And they got a good break when Thomas Percy, one of the conspirators, was assigned to be the Honorable Corps of Gentlemen at Arms at London. Oh. Um, so he's now given 50 armed horsemen who are bodyguards for the king, which means he's in, man. Yeah, he's in the party. Uh, so this is a big break. Yeah. Um, and Percy has a good reason to set up shop in London, so he does. And Guy Fawkes, under the brilliant pseudonym John Johnson, which I just <laughs> fucking love, uh, sets up shop there, posing uh-huh. as a servant. Mm. Um and across the river, uh, is it Thames? I don't yeah. fucking know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thames, Catesby shuts up a shop in a building where he has enough space to store a fuck ton of gunpowder. Oh, shit. Also, it's just across the river, so they row a few kegs of powder across every night uh, and a li- get it to get a little closer to the House of Lords. Oh, God, wow. So, with all this going on, Catholic persecution continues in England, making things worse and worse and worse. And, you know, what the fuck, King James? What do you have to say for yourself? Well, uh, didn't he translate the Bible into English? I mean, maybe. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, the King James Version, right? Was that the King James who did it? I think so. We gotta look it up now. Yeah. Consult the Book of Armaments. Uh, King James Version history. It would make sense, because he was a big Protestant, right? I think he did, yeah. Yeah, that's the King James Version history. Yes, it was translated, authorized, anyway. uh, Right, yeah. the English translation for the Christian Bible in the Church of England. It began in 1604 and was completed in 1611. Of course, it left out anything that would support the Papists. Um, Yeah. Hooray. Okay, so let's see here. So then some fucker shows up, and his name is Robert Keyes, and his life is in shambles. So you see, Keyes was a Catholic, and the persecution against him had put him out of house and home Uh and bankrupted him. Oh, dear. So it was really bad for Keyes. Anyway, so this Keyes guy is put in charge of all the gunpowder, horses, other supplies, etc. And then a servant named Thomas Bates gets involved. How? Well, basically, he had been Catesby's personal butler for quite a while. And he was sharp as a tack. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, Bates picked up on all of the suspicious shit that he knew, that he saw going on, and he knew enough about, uh, he knew enough to know that something was going on, seriously. Yeah. Particularly, yeah. he had figured out that the Catholics he was serving under were storing gunpowder near, somewhere near Parliament. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah. you know, it doesn't take much of that point to put two and two together. Uh, and so they let him in on the secret and becomes an official conspirator. Okay. All right. So the next bit is a bit fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 1605, uh, which means that there's definitely at least five plagues going on. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. And one of these plagues hits London, obviously. So Parliament decides not to go to work that day. Smart. For eight months. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Sounds like our so, Parliament. So they, de- <laughs> so they delay their regular meetup from February to October, which wow. means the conspirators have a lot more time to, one, rethink everything, and two possibly dig a secret tunnel under Parliament. Okay. And I say possibly, because it's pretty damn clear that the tunnel actually never existed. Huh. The only evidence we have is that the cons- that the conspirators dug a tunnel comes from Thomas Winter's eventual confession, which, you know, it's a confession under a tyrannical state, so it doesn't mean much. And probably a lot of torture. Yeah, uh, well, definitely a lot of torture. Yeah. Absolutely a lot of torture. These guys were all tortured. So anyway, yeah. it was apparently confirmed by Guy Fawkes uh, to have existed. Mm-hmm. But only after his fifth interrogation. Oh, God. So under torture, he was like, Yeah, guys, there's a tunnel. Please put my fingernails back. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I don't know oh. if they actually ripped out his fingernails, but they did some it's awful likely. shit to they him. They did do that sometimes. Yeah, they, they did do that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so according to the conspiracies, they, uh, the conspirators, uh, they tunneled up from their rented house all the way to Parliament and stopped when they heard some woman cleaning a room above them. <laughs> Apparently, this was the undercroft of Parliament. Okay. How they determined this, I don't know, because that's 
how they said they found it? Just some woman cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it was London in the 1600s. No one else would be cleaning, right? That's true. Yeah. Only one person in London cleaned in the 1600s. That's a fact. Go mm -hmm. read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Queen <laughs> Elizabeth. Yeah, so the conspirators reconvene with three more recruits. Uh, these recruits, Robert Winter, related to the other Winter, yeah. John Grant and Christopher White, were all brought in because they had the audacity to shelter Catholic citizens from the persecuting hmm. government of England. Uh, horrific people here, everybody. Just horrific sheltering right. people from persecution. Just the worst, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so on the 25th of March, the conspirators literally uh, bought the under Undercroft beneath Parliament. Wow. That's right. They bought it. <laughs> um, which makes the tunnel story seem a bit shaky, but, like, what do I know? I'm just some asshole with a mic. Um, hmm. Maybe it was for convenience sake. Who knows? You know, It may have just popped up halfway through the plot where they were digging the tunnel. They are like, all right, we're going to secretly put the gunpowder yeah. here. But now we can just buy it, so... Right. Um, so then Catesby has a crisis of conscience. Okay. Um, because he's going to blow people up, right? So yeah, he goes true. to a Catholic. Yeah, exactly. So he goes to a Catholic priest, somehow still existing in England, hmm. uh, and asks him directly about the morality of collateral damage. Oh. And basically he was wondering if he would get extra time in purgatory if he blew up some innocent people along with the tyrants. Oh, shit. Uh, the priest said it would probably be excusable. Um, but later backed up on this and said that, you know, literally the fucking Pope himself forbade the rebellion. <laughs> yeah. So, so the priest is like, stop, don't come back, but it's too late. Um, so at this point, oh, Guy no. Fox had moved 20 barrels of gunpowder under this undercroft. Jesus. Uh, purchased from the black market, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and October is inching nearer. Right, but it's 1605. There's presumably all the plagues going on right now, so the Parliament <laughs> delays the meeting another month, which oh, means you know now they have to cover this up for even longer. Wow, the Lord, so, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so they have to go for a month, uh, another month, which is not good for the conspirators. So they've been doing this for like a year now, mm -hmm. hiding this and covering this up. So. I mean, wow. Good thing they didn't get yeah. caught, I guess. And I was going to say, like, they have a lot of guys in on this, too. It's mm -hmm. it's amazing. It, word didn't get out. Uh, well, they weren't all long. Catholics, either. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it was like the Essex Rebellion. People were just like, hey, tyranny's not cool. Yeah. Um, Let's <laughs> blow up London. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, they have to push the meeting back another month. Hmm. Um, and what date do they set for their eventual reconvening? November 5th? Yeah. Remember, uh -oh. remember, the 5th of November. Oh, there it so, is. Yeah, so they set it for November 5th. Uh, the problem is, gunpowder costs a lot of money, and money's hard to come by if you're a Catholic and English in 1605. Uh -huh. right, you're, yeah. you're, you're a no-go. People don't buy from you, they don't hire you, they, you know. Um, so Catesby's getting poor, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he brings in a guy named Ambrose Rookwood, uh, a young and loaded Catholic. Good. Um, this guy owns a whole bunch of really awesome horses, which the conspirators, I think, wanted to use to escape the city after they blew up Parliament. Oh, awesome. Great. Right. So he's this guy's like a car dealer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so at some point during the conspirators' secret meetings, Guy Fox is selected as the guy to light the fuse. Oh, there he is. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's the guy. He's Guy mm -hmm. Fox, right? Yeah. Um, so he's the one. That's why he's best remembered as going, like, going, you know, the guy who came up with the whole conspiracy or whatever. He's sure. the one who goes down if anyone goes down, right? Yeah. Um, and the plan is that Fox blows the place to hell, mm -hmm. escapes across the Thames, uh, joins a larger uprising in the Midlands, and captures the princess that these guys want to install in place of the king. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, so crazy fucking plan. Yeah, um, but, like, it, it might just work. <laughs> it might just work. Well, in, in fact, if you know a little bit about how things were conducted back then with power and that sort of thing, it probably oh, yeah. could, like, likely would work. Oh, for sure. Well, and this is interesting because it, we'll get on to it later with Talat Pasha, but I'm going to cover, like, four coups. Jesus. And Did you hear that? No. Okay, sorry. Some asshole was revving his engine outside of the house. Oh, God. You were talking about coups? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to cover, like, four coups. And they're all done pretty similarly. Like, it's just a couple douchebags who want to blow something <laughs> up and then put in their own guy. Well, so, yeah. yeah. This could work. This is not a bad plan, really. Yeah. It, it, it's it's better than What's-His-Face, who's like, I don't want to take over Ireland and I've got no wine, so I'm going <laughs> to march on London! <laughs> Robert Devereaux. Yeah, that's the name. What a fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so let's so go. Anyway, anyway, yeah. anyway so uh, that's the plan. Fox yeah. is going to capture the princess and make her put her in power after the after bombing. Mm -hmm. um, and then Fox would go abroad also to explain just what the fuck happened in England to try and garner international support for the revolt. Yes. Right, so that's his mission. He's going to blow the sh blow the shit to hell, go capture the princess, and then go and explain what the fuck happened. Sure. Right, so, which makes sense, because internationally, this looks kind of bad, right? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, as the day of the explosion draws nearer, the people who are involved start to wonder if this act of rebellion would only increase the persecution of Catholics in ah, London, which mm -hmm. is a fair question. Uh, and then something happens which basically becomes a catastrophe. Uh-oh. A Catholic sympathizer in Parliament gets an anonymous letter, uh, and this letter is as follows. follows. <clears throat> mm-hmm. My lord, out of the love I bear to some of your friends, I have a care of your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this parliament. For God and man hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time, and think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into the country where you may expect the event in safety. For though there be no appearance of any stir, yet I say they shall receive a terrible blow this parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. This council is not to be condemned, because it may do you good, and can do you harm. For the good, for the danger is past as soon as you have burnt the letter, and I hope God will give you grace to make good use of it, to whose holy protection I commend you. That is the lengthiest amount of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he could have summed that up, whoever sent this, they could have summed it up in, like, a sentence. Well, it's, it's the... How do I put this? I'm not gonna make that joke. Uh, <laughs> not gonna make that joke. Don't then. Whatever. I, I have to make that joke. I'm not gonna make that joke. Not Say it. Yeah, you, know you have to. Come well, on. Well, okay. I read this, and it reminded me of the meme I saw circulating a little oh, while back. Of... So people know about this plot now, kind of. Right. Right. And meanwhile, King James is out hunting, and there's no <laughs> way to warn him about what the fuck is going on. Uh, until he gets back on the 1st of November. Oh, shit, we're getting close. Yeah, so then the king reads this anonymous letter and somehow deduces that there's a quote. There's um, quote, what he says is, some stratagem of fire and powder. Hmm. So somehow he figures out, they're going to blow this shit up. Yeah. Um, and he orders the search of all of Parliament. Hmm. Wow. In the meantime, Catesby and his gang are securing weapons for the uprising in England following the explosion. Oh, dear. And at this point, things get messy. Sure. There are two accounts of what happened during the search of Parliament. Uh, there's the king's account and there's the conspirators' account. I'm going to focus on the king's. Um, but according to the king, his men found a large pile of firewood under the House of Lords, hmm. attended by none other than Guy Fox. Oh. And they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And Guy, Guy says he's just storing it there for his master, Thomas Percy. Uh huh. 
So the king's men are like, this is suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So they leave to report what they found, and Guy Fox gets the fuck out of there. Yep. Uh, but when the king hears about all this, he's like, go back and arrest that guy. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so the seriously. King's go, the king's men go back, and you would think Fox wouldn't be there, but he's back. Yeah. Um, and he's standing, in the, he's standing in the basement with a lantern, uh-huh. dressed in a black cloak, hat, and boots with spurs. Oh, jeez. So the classic V for Vendetta look. Yeah. Um, and the lantern, by the way, is in a museum today. They still have it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So they ask him who he is, and he says, Anonymous, you cuck bastards. <laughs> uh, kidding. Oh. But that's basically what he says, because he intru- introduces himself as the anonymous John Johnson. Mm. So is that right? where, and like, he, Anonymous has come from? That's where Anonymous comes oh, from. Wow. Because John Johnson's an anonymous name. Yeah. Right? Anonymous relates with that or whatever. Nice. Um, so the King's men arrest him right there. Um <laughs> And discover that he's hiding 36 barrels of gunpowder. <laughs> um, and after this shocking discovery, the king's men take take Fox up to meet King James himself in the early morning of the 5th of November. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, somehow word gets out that Fox has been arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, word on the street is that a man named John Johnson has been arrested in the undercroft of the House of Lords. And, of course, the conspirators are like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> so they split. Um, but remember... Uh, Catesby, uh, where the fuck am I? I lost my spot. <laughs> we don't have a script. Remember, Catesby <laughs> is on his way uh, to the Midlands to start the revolution, so he has no idea. Yeah. Right? Until he stops to reshoe his horse. Um, and oh, while no. doing this, the wealthy Catholic kid Rookwood catches up and tells Catesby that Fox has been arrested and the whole plot is going to hell. Oh, shit. So Catesby and his fellow conspirators head home to decide their next move. Because <laughs> it's over, right? You've yeah. been found out. Guy Fox is going to be tortured. How right? they disappointing know- would that be? After, that what, would be f- a year of preparation? I, I I think... It reminds me of Maurice Bavaud and, and oh, Johan y- Elser. Yeah, you're right. Uh, oh, which one man. was it that carved the, the stuff into the wall or whatever, put the bomb there? Maurice Bavaud, I believe. You covered him. Yeah. Was it, was it Johan Elser? Or maybe it was Johan Elser. It was one of the know, two. One yeah, of the I two. Remember. But spent a year yeah. preparing to murder Hitler, and then it Every, got caught. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, they know Fox is going to be interrogated. Mm-hmm. And he's, they know it's only a matter of time before he gives up their names and location because, you know, it's torture, right? Yeah. Um, so on the 6th of November, Catesby and his men raid Warwick Castle for horses and supplies to help them their escape. And the oh, castle wow. was pretty much empty, so they just kind of walked in and took shit. Uh-huh. Um, and Catesby sends a letter to a Catholic priest asking for help and saying he wants to raise an army in Wales. Hmm. Uh, and the priest responds by virtue signaling and saying, Hey, stop it. The Pope says so. Please don't arrest me, English tyrants. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's on the record as saying, uh, I, I, I had nothing to do with this. The English aren't mistreating the Catholics at all. Uh, yeah. um, so anyway, that's that. Uh-huh. Um, and meanwhile, in London, Fox is being questioned. Oh, God. And they ask him what the hell he's doing with so much gunpowder, at which point Fox says the following. I have all this gunpowder. To blow you Scotch beggars back to your native mountains. <laughs> but okay. then later, under torture, he says he's sorry. Um, but he's sorry that he didn't get to blow them all up. Oh, wow. <laughs> so even King James is impressed by this dude's balls. He's like, yeah. this guy is a total badass. And he describes him as having a, quote, Roman resolution. Nice. That's pretty Which neat. reminds me of the Catholics and Christians in, in, uh, in Russia during the... Uh, 
de-kulakization and the persecutions oh, over there. Right. Like, they, they couldn't break the Christians, so they just stopped arresting them at some point. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, there's some sort of, there's something there. So, anyway, uh, the king orders that fox be tortured anyway. Mm. But just a little, just a little. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he's taken to the Tower of London. Mm. And at this point, Fox knows he's doomed. Right. So, he basically decides to buy time for his co- fellow conspirators. Um, we don't know actually exactly what tortures they put him through. Oh, um, it's possible he was on the rack, um, you know, burning, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but we do know he was allowed to rest for the night. Oh, okay, that's So nice. it wasn't like overnight that they kept torturing, uh, t- torturing him. But he's tortured for two days. Mm. Uh, two fucking days. I can't imagine being tortured for five minutes. No. Like, oh. two days? Holy shit. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he finally breaks uh, and reveals that Catesby is the man the government's after. Hmm. Right? So over the next few days, Fox is subjected to all kinds of tortures, is forced to sign a confession. He was tortured so badly that he could barely write his name on a sheet of paper. Oh, and you God. can go look at it. it. It's just like a scribble, and it's oh. faint as hell. And they compared it to a signature he did, uh, I think, later on after he'd recovered from torture. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah, so Guy Fox went down with the ship, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, Catesby and his fellow uncaptured conspirators go to confession and take communion. Uh, because they know they don't have long left. This, this is like their last rites. Yeah, yeah. And so they ride through a storm uh, to continue their escape and found their way to Staffordshire about 10 o'clock at night. And so they're exhausted and spent, and they, they start a fire. Uh <laughs> At which point, a spark lands on some of their gunpowder and lights Catesby, Rookwood, and what? two other guys on fire. What the hell? <laughs> okay. Uh, kind of ironic, because people still burn effigies of Guy Fox and that sort of thing. The yeah, Lord Fox. hath struck them down. <laughs> well, they survive. Oh, um, one guy's eyes get burned out. Oh. Uh, oh. Catesby gets a little scorched, but that's about it. But, like, the party's so demoralized at this yeah. point. Um that several members decide to give themselves up. Oh, They're just like, fuck it, it's over, let's just give up, you know? Yeah. So everyone uh, heads toward their doom, uh, hmm. besides Catesby and a few other conspirators, who decide to, like, let the king come for them. Mm-hmm. They're like, let's hold out in this house, uh, the king will be here any minute, um, and we're not going down without a fight. Right. Um, yeah, let all Catesby the king's ha- horses and all the king's men come. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah. I don't so, know. <laughs> Catesby vows that he's not going to be taken alive. Okay. And he decides then and there that he would fight to the death with steel in hand. And that's where we'll leave Robert Catesby. Oh, no. come back for his end and death. Oh, dear. Yeah. So that's where we're we're at. Um, Yeah. So So what's your take? Well, I was kind of cheering for him, honestly. Uh, Yeah? Yeah. I also want to know who... Is there any idea who sent these letters, the warning letters, to King James and the other guy? Uh, there was some speculation that there was this, there was one guy who did it who was involved in the conspiracy. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, he basically said it wasn't me. Mm. And then said it was me, and then said it wasn't me again, and, you know, we really don't know. Right. Yeah, we'll probably never uh, know. Yeah, so you never know. But, um, mm. that's, uh... That's all, that's what I know. Yeah, wow. So, it was one of the members of the conspiracy who was, like... He he was friends with the guy he was trying to rescue. Yeah. And he couldn't, of course, say, hey, I'm involved in a plot to blow up Parliament, you know, <laughs> don't go. Right. Um, he could only say mysteriously, you know, just don't try not to be there. Right. Know? Yeah. Just try not to be there. Uh, and, of course, the guy, you know, I think if he had, maybe if he had known the context of it, 
he probably would have burned the letter and just not gone to Parliament. Mm-hmm. Though I don't know his motivation. Right. I mean, yeah, and we don't know. Because he may have been like, yeah, blow him all to hell, but of course, he's in Parliament, so yeah. he's definitely got some friends there. You know, these people aren't symbols of religious oppression when you're in the same room with them, necessarily. Yeah. They're people who you can, you know, you can elbow when you tell a joke. Maybe, right? yeah. So it's, well, <laughs> hey, we're getting rid of those Catholics now, aren't we, elbow? I, elbow, I just elbow. pictured, like, 250 Newt Gingriches are all over the place. <laughs> that's that's 250 too many, my friend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> also, there had to be some bullying that went on with that name, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Newt. <laughs> oh, God. Christ. Yeah. Turned him into a villain. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm not wow, saying Newt okay. is a villain. I'm just... I'm making right. a joke, damn it. Yes, damn it. Damn it. So, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want Varys. to break? Your... <laughs> yeah, do you I gotta take on? a break. Uh, do you want to take a break? Yep. Okay, well, so, I'm just gonna leave it rolling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break. Oh. If you don't have a feather or a fig, you may grow up to be a pig. Or would you like to swing on a And we are back to we talk about dead people and we, we left off we were at the top of the hour with some of the best tracks available this year. That's James? right, Aaron. Yeah, and pop has really taken off this year. I fucking love pop, James. I love pop, I love it. too. It's... I love pop music. It's so good. <laughs> yes. We just lost all our pop listeners. <laughs> good, they're not Another humans. demographic down. <laughs> our goal is to piss off every single group of people. That's my goal, at least. Especially the New Zealanders. Oh, don't even say their fucking name. Jesus. Sorry, yeah, they're just they're just humble sheep, <laughs> tending humble. to their grass. Right, mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying they're sheeple. I'm just saying there's a lot of sheep in New Zealand. Do you know why it's called Zealand, by the way? I think I decided last time we made this joke was because it was a great place for a nap. But no, the... no, no. It starts with the letter Z, which is the lowest. And uh, last letter in the English alphabet, just like New Zealanders are the lowest human beings on the planet. But in the word of God, mm-hmm. the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Fuck. Huh. Owned. You want to go to Bible Bowl with me? I will crush your ass. Jeez. Oh, Okay, so when we left off, we were talking about uh, Robert Catesby's adult life, and now we're going to be moving into Talat Talat Pasha's adult life. He's not a Pasha yet, but yes. He's just a Mehmed. He's a, yes, a a miniature Pasha. A miniature Pasha. Non-Pasha. He's he's a non-Pasha. Postal worker. Yes. Right, he's a postal worker, he's living with his wife. Uh, Where again? Uh, Thessalonica, which is northern Greece. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, he's a, th- he's a Thessalonian now. Mm-hmm. Bible bowl, everyone. Uh, James, why don't you tell us about Talat Pasha's or not Pasha yet? Talat, not Mehmed Talat's adult life. Okay, <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Damn it! So to begin, 
we're gonna talk about some context. Uh, okay. Because I'm yes. eating. By the way, I do this now. I eat mm -hmm. on the air. Um, because sometimes we record for hours and hours. That's true. And I just get hungry. So. Uh, mm. Yeah. Damn, much good cheese. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I, I have. I know. What I are you doing, dude? What are you doing? Shit. Well, my internet is is not down. Never mind. Uh, I was gonna sing the song that Pippin sings to Lord Denethor when Lord Denethor's eating his dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> I can't remember. I've got tomato juice spilling down my yeah. face, and my line has ended. <laughs> he said, popping the rest of the cheese into his mouth. <laughs> the world ahead. And there are many paths to tread <laughs> through shadow to the end of night. Are we seriously still doing this? <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright. Fair enough. Now this is podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We could do so much better, couldn't we? We really if could. If we really wanted to, we could make this podcast the greatest thing ever. <laughs> What's funny, though... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, what's what's funny? I was gonna say what's funny though is that people really liked the fake episode, from what I can tell. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They want more. Let's. And we will give the people that which they desire. Supply and demand. <laughs> Basic economics, man. Yep. Yeah. 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 I know everything about economics because I comment on YouTube. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna give us some context. Yes. About Mehmed uh, Talat. Well, earlier you wanted to know a little bit more about the Ottoman Empire, I recall. Yes, because I know fucking nothing about the Ottoman Empire. Well, now you'll know fucking something about it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, let's go back a few hundred years okay. to the 1200s. And Turkey is divided. Uh, except it's not Turkey at all, that's just what it's called today. But the peninsula that we think of Turkey was called Anatolia back then by a lot of people. Oh, that's a map in Age of Mythology. Okay, I'm Is it you. really? That's amazing. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Anatolia is divided. The Byzantine Empire controls some of it, a bunch of Turkish, Turkish principalities control most of it, and they often all fight each other. There are crusaders here and there sometimes, and the whole thing is just a goddamn mess. Okay. But one of these Turkish leaders is this guy named Osman, and he's got some land, man, and some <laughs> troops, and some money. And so Osman... <laughs> What? He's the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> He's the Ozman. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Don't look behind the Ottoman Empire curtain. Well, whatever you say from here on out, I'm going to imagine him as a giant green face, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that should work. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Perfect. So, he, uh, he starts taking some land from the Christian Byzantines, and then somehow mysteriously unites many of the other Turkish principalities under him. And we have no idea how he did this because no texts survive. But I'm guessing uh, he was going to give them courage or a heart or a, a brain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's funny. That's, but, a, that's, a, that's a Wizard of Oz joke. <laughs> ha! Right. Ha, 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 ha. Yes. <laughs> Are you Sorry. choking on cheese? No. That's a way to die, actually. <laughs> Okay, so by the mid-1320s, Osman has a nice little empire going, but then he dies. Okay. His name lives on, though, as his empire became known as the 
Ottoman Empire, named after oh. Osman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then his son took over, fought against the Christian Byzantines, took some more land, yada, yada, yada. And if you remember, the Byzantine Empire was often seen as basically the last Christian defense against the Muslims. Right. But okay. the Byzantine Empire was declining in power very fast. Uh, no thanks to the Crusaders who sacked and took over the Byzantine capital of Constantinople in 1204. Uh, of course. Fourth, ta- yeah. fourth Crusade. But now the whole Christian world is freaking out because here comes the Islamic Ottomans and they're they're not stopping for nobody. Right, okay. Yeah. By the late 1300s, the Ottoman Empire has crossed over into Europe and captured parts of modern-day Greece, Bulgaria, Macedonia, etc. Wow. Wow. Christian okay. Europe rallied together basically for one last great crusade in order to, to defend Europe and push the Ottomans back across the Aegean Sea. But the Ottomans crushed the Crusaders in 1396, and now little stood in way of the Ottomans. Mm. Okay. Oh. That's not good news for the Christians. No. Okay. But there was a thorn in the side of the Ottomans, and that was the still barely controlled Byzantine city of Constantinople. Oh, no! But then Timur the Lame showed up and started attacking the eastern borders of the Ottoman Empire. And if you have no idea who Timur the Lame is, listen to our podcast, episode 29. Whoa, crossover. Mm, Yeah. Wait, so Timur's at war with the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, and we cover it a bit in, in that episode. I, I Why? Remember, I do recall. What? Why? It, what? So Timber's just a conqueror, though. Yeah, right? Timber. You remember Timber the Lame, right? Just a selfish conqueror. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but the Ottoman Empire is at war with Timur in the east and with the Christians oh. in the west. That's really weird. How, why is that weird? Let's discuss. Well, wasn't Timur leading a Muslim army? Uh, it was mostly Muslim, yeah. Okay, but, but it wasn't, like, for a Muslim cause. Not really. It was he for a Timur cause. <laughs> yeah, and, well, yeah. and the Muslims are often like the Christians. I mean, we were just talking about it with Robert Catesby, is, you know, mm-hmm. why are the Protestants and the right? why are the Protestants and the Catholics fighting each other? Well, it's a lot of times for the same reason the Sunni and the Shia Muslims are fighting each other or whatever. Like, everyone's got their divides, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's complicated. It's not just one homogenous whole. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, so... So the Ottoman Empire is at war, two-front war. uh, Okay. And they're pushed back on both their eastern and western front for about 50 years or so. And things don't look great until this guy named Mehmed the Conqueror comes to power. And he uses giant-ass cannons to blow apart the walls of Constantinople, which he conquered in 1453. Holy fuck! Giant cannons. The giant cannons, like you like can the, see, they're like sketches of them, and they're huge. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So then the Ottoman Empire just goes on full conquer all of Europe mode, basically. Okay, perfect. And for uh, the next 150 years, the Ottomans and the Europeans duke it out in the Balkans, Eastern Europe, Central Europe, and Italy. Uh, basically, all of Europe versus the Ottomans, in a way. Wow. Uh, although okay. the Ottomans were held up for a bit by this asshole named Vlad the Impaler, which is another crossover <laughs> back wow. to episode three of our podcast. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe the Ottomans are even uh, in Elizabeth Bathory's story, too, if I'm rem- remembering yeah, correctly. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't her husband killed by Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah something like that. I, I don't remember, though. Yeah. He was off fighting. That's why she was at home. Right. Murdering or not murdering, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Practicing surgery, I say. Yes. With a big asterisk next to that. (laughs) Okay. So So, then the Ottomans conquer Egypt. All right. Uh, So they're they're expanding everywhere. East, south, west, you know, all that good stuff. They're everywhere. Yeah. Got it. 
Then they conquer a good chunk of Hungary. And, Damn. uh, holy shit, by 1529, the Ottomans are all the way in Austria, sieging the key city of Vienna. Wow. Which is really far into Europe. If, yeah. Yeah. To any well, and you don't imagine that. You don't imagine Ottomans besieging Vienna. No. No, no, no. Right? Well, I mean, maybe it's just because we're Americans, because, you know, I'm sure, sure over there, they have at least some semblance of understanding of what happened. But Right. Because, you know, the, you walk by a building, it's like, ah, this building's been here since the Siege of Vienna, or something mm, like that. Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> Over here, we're like, this building's 200 years old, it's as old as time <laughs> itself! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so they're in Vienna, or attacking Vienna. Yeah, so, um, and by this time, of course, Europe is just shitting their pants. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, the Ottomans failed to take the city for one reason or another. Okay. But they're, uh, they're still conquering in the Middle East, and they took, they take over Syria, and much of Iraq, and they even conquer Baghdad in 1535. Wow. Uh, by 1555, they've taken the Caucasus, which is that land in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Right. Then the Ottomans help France conquer the island of Corsica, which is kind of weird. Okay. And then the French help the Ottomans bomb Hungary, which... What the fuck? <laughs> whatever. Wait, what? Yeah. Why? Uh, it's a lot of political reasons. Um... What because, the shit? So the, <laughs> yeah, European history is really weird at this time because it's like all the Christian nations. Well, it's it's the 1500s. So you've got the Protestant Reformation. You've got your differences between Protestants and Catholics. Then you've got your differences just among Protestants. And then you've got all these family, like these royal family lines. And sometimes they're connected to other countries' family lines. So it's just such a mess. And then you yeah. have the Ottomans coming in, which is like, well, they're, in they're invaders and they're Muslims. But maybe we can ally with them to right. fight another one of our Christian rivals. So it's just a mess. That is a fucking mess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, the French helped the Ottomans bomb Hungary, which, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and then the Ottomans fight the Portuguese for control over the Horn of Africa. <laughs> Alright, I mean, just it's so nothing wrong. surprises me. <laughs> no. uh, by this okay. point, uh, the Ottoman Empire uh, is seen as one of the greatest world powers at the time. It's got control of almost 900,000 square miles in Anatolia, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, Northeastern Africa... And they have quite a bit of political influence in European politics. Because everybody wants to kind of be on their side, but also they're Muslims and we're Christians, so we can't really be on their side. It's complicated. Yeah. yeah. It's complicated. Mm. Yes. Okay. But then we have this guy in 1566 named Suleiman the Magnificent. <laughs> and then <Suleiman>. he dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Christ. Just uh, like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I left out his whole life, pretty much, because I'm trying to do this as yeah, quick as right. possible. <laughs> right, right, right. So, problems start to arrive with his with his death, and uh, basically a lot of wars and a lot of inflation for the Ottoman Empire. So, infighting at all? Uh, not quite. Well, there there are always rebellions in the history of the Ottoman Empire, just because they're ruling a, over a bunch of minorities, uh, which we'll get to. Okay. But you've got people like Greeks and Jews and or, um, Armenians and all sorts of Orthodox Christians and mm -hmm. then different Muslim denominations, and they're all being ruled over by the Ottoman Empire. So things are going to get hairy, right? Right. With, and that's <clears throat> always the case with imperialism. They're going to get sullied, man. Yes. Because <laughs> sully, man. Sully, man. <laughs> the Magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> what is that laugh? I don't know. Okay. It's well, like a donkey laugh. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, then okay. in the year 1571, a Christian coalition led by King Philip II of Spain defeats an Ottoman fleet, and this basically shatters the idea of Ottoman invincibility, uh, because up to this point, the Ottomans hadn't had a huge defeat. Right. But now, everyone knows they can be defeated. So right. there are more wars and uh, more wars in Europe and some rebellions for the Ottomans, but they carry through. And okay. then in 1683, the Ottomans gather a huge ass army to try and take Vienna again, which, again, we're at Vienna, which yeah. is, like, in the middle of Europe. But basically, all of Europe rallies around the city and saves it in the largest cavalry charge in history, which we'll definitely have to really? cover. Yeah. So, it was basically Ministereth, like, the Ottomans are surrounding the city, and then you hear the horns, and the Rohirrim shows up, uh, except it's not the Rohirrim, it's a bunch of Polish hazar winged hazars, oh, leading, like, tens of thousands of Austrian, Hungarian, Polish, and German soldiers all rallied together to save the city. It's pretty cool. Tut Tell us something about the winged hussars. Okay, all you need to know is just look up, go on to Google Images and type in Polish winged hussars. And they were an elite fighting force for hundreds of years, and they, their armor is the coolest war armor ever. <laughs> They've got wings on. Wings, okay? That's, yes. Just look it up. Look up the pictures. That's all you need to know. Oh, one other thing. Yeah. The wings were made of metal, Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. And so, when they rode toward you, the the metal would clatter. Yeah, just horrifying. And it would it would make it was kind of like the the uh, the dive bomber. Oh yeah, sound, yeah, yeah. The horn of Jericho mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, it created this this uh, demoralizing effect. You were like, oh fuck, right, right, <laughs> like. It's the winged hussars. Oh god. Um, yeah. That's it's a precursor to the Horn of Jericho or I think that's what it's I called. Think it's something like um, that. Yeah. Which which was a, a device put on Nazi Stuka bombers. Dive bombers, um, yeah. Dive bombers, and that's where why you hear that. So when you hear which that is, you know you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, and and except for when you're playing Far Cry four, because when you shoot down a helicopter, it makes the horn of Jericho sound, which that makes <laughs> no fucking sense. Okay. Good. <laughs> So, anyway, I lost where we were. They're sieging Vienna, there's a cavalry charge, yeah, and then and the Ottomans, well, Vienna is saved, and the Ottomans are pushed back, right? Okay. Now, okay, interesting uh, thing I've heard about this is, and I have no idea if this is true, but I've heard a rumor that uh, a bunch of bakers were the ones manning the walls at, like, a key point in the battle, and these bakers had no training in fighting, but they managed to push the, the Turks back, and because they won, uh, these bakers made crescent rolls to mock the crescent moon flag that the Turks had. No I've way! I've heard this, and I... Okay, I'm I've looking it up. I've heard this from reliable sources, but it could be complete bullshit. But if it is, that's... It sounds like bullshit, but I love it. I love <laughs> it too, yeah. Alright, alright. It's place of origin is Austria. Uh-huh, good. Um, okay, they say it's a culinary legend. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I love the birth of the croissants. I was and let's see, it's in this, the bakery served Vienna's specialties, the Vienna loaf. Okay, <laughs> um, found no printed recipe for the present day croissant in any French recipe book before the 20th century. Let's see, if that happened, holy right. shit, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say though. Okay, culinary legend. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm looking it up too. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, the legend includes tales that it was invented in Europe to celebrate the defeat of the Umayyad forces by the Franks in the Battle of Tours oh, in 732. Oh, that's a lot earlier. <laughs> um, but also 1683 in Vienna um, to celebrate the defeat of the Ottomans by Christian forces in the siege of the city. As a reference to the Ottoman flags, when Baker's staying up all night heard the tunneling operation and gave the alarm. Mm. Ooh. I want to believe it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I want to believe I it. I want to believe I it, choose. <laughs> I choose to believe sure. it. Sure. It's fun either way. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, carry on. Okay. So, uh, so the Ottomans, after this defeat, they, were, they gave up a lot of their European holdings, but they're still a pretty powerful empire at this point. Okay. Uh, then there are regular wars with the Christians and rebellions, but hey, it's great uh, because at least we've changed Anatolia's name to that of a giant tasty bird. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, wait, <laughs> Turkey, Turkey, yeah. of course, well, of course. That, uh, yeah, yes, I'm such yes. a dumbass. Sorry, I <laughs> would form an empire just to do that. I well, I would name it Turkey. Turkey's a little sleepy for me. I'd name it Beef. beef. <laughs> right, <laughs> the country of beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've got Turkey. Yeah. So uh, and then just to go through the last few hundred years in the 1700s, Russia and the Ottomans fight many, many, many wars. Uh, and then in the mid mid 1800s, the empire goes through a bunch of like really good reforms. Uh, they make homosexuality legal in the 1800s. Whoa. Uh, the the Ottoman the Empire? Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yes, it's crazy. Uh. They replace religious law with secular law, which probably had something to do with that. They make a constitution. They uh, begin to treat minority stuff like these are good changes, or they, right. they begin to treat minorities better, is what I meant to say. <laughs> uh -huh. Yes. Wow. However, uh, things also aren't going too well in other ways. The government is weakening, uh, and it's often called the sick man of Europe at this point. I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. And only about 0.2% of the empire's budget is spent on education, uh -oh. which uh. is not a lot. Uh -huh. Further, uh, the divide between Christians and Muslims is growing. Constant wars okay. have devastated the economy, and there are a bunch of uprisings, particularly in the European parts of the Ottoman Empire. So okay. not good. And remember that there are a bunch of Christians and Muslims living together underneath this empire, under this banner of the empire. So... Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because it was all Byzantine territory before, and the Byzantines were Christians, but now it's right. Ottoman. Yeah. So it's very complicated. Then, uh, then the Bulgarians rebel, and the Ottomans responded by butchering a hundred thousand of them. Jesus. Uh, then, in an effort to fix the Ottoman Empire, Islam is made the official state religion again, oh. and this is not good news for the Christians living there. Uh, well, I would argue it's not good news for anyone to have a theocracy. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, and it's especially not good for uh, the ethnic Christian minorities like the Armenians. Oh. So, uh, in the 1890s, the Ottomans murder a few hundred thousand Armenians, because fuck it, we gotta save the empire. What? Basically. How does that... How does that accomplish that? What was the logic behind that? Well, I didn't study this uh, this genocide as much as I did the later Armenian genocide. Okay. There's, a there's another one. But basically, so... I, I to, to my discredit, I didn't look at the Armenian history too well. All I know about the Armenians is that they're kind of... Think of, they're kind of like the Jews in a way, where they were displaced from their home hundreds of years ago, and they've somehow retained their religious and social identity, mm -hmm. uh, and they've kind of just been 
living in different countries waiting to get back to their homeland. Uh, and they, they're, they've been along, they've been around forever. I mean, during the Crusades, the Armenian Christians often fought with or alongside the Crusaders against the, the Muslims. Just complicated stuff. But anyway, so what this, this means to the Ottomans is, look, here are a bunch of Armenians who are Christians and they're not really, you know, assimilating into Ottoman culture. We might have to get rid of them. Okay. All right. Right? Yeah. That... Fuck. Okay. It's hor- Yeah, it, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense, of course, but that's kind of what they're thinking, I guess. Fuck. All right. Yeah. Uh, so... Basically, everyone hates the Ottoman Empire, even people living within the Ottoman Empire, mm. right? And the Christian minorities within the empire, they hate they hate the empire because of persecution. The economy is in shambles. Centuries of wars have led to inflation, debt, and the loss of territory. The Ottoman parliament has been dissolved, uh, and the country's constitution has been done away with in favor of strict Islamic rule. Okay. So, not great. Uh, things are not looking good. No. And this is the time that our boy Mehmed Talat is living in. Uh, now, remember that Mehmed is a postal worker in Thessalonica, which is in Greece, but controlled by the Ottomans. Right. Uh, and then there's a revolution, which is probably a good thing. Okay. So this is gonna, this might be a little confusing, but I took it a little slow just because I find it very interesting. And we'll be able to talk about coups and political changes, which, you know... It has to do with pretty much every other guy we've covered on this show so far. Right, right. So, there are two political groups uh, that kind of secretly arise in defiance against this totalitarian Ottoman Empire. All right. First off are the liberals. Ah, and... fucking liberals. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. Okay, that's a joke, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So... These liberals, they want a new, very relaxed form of government that doesn't interfere with the economy, stops fighting in so many wars, and promotes the autonomy of minority ethnic groups. Okay. Sounds sounds pretty good. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds kind of good, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, the Liberal Party becomes really popular with upper-class and middle-class citizens, and also very popular with uh, ethnic and religious minorities. I wonder why! Right, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Now, the second party became known as the Unionists and uh, was comprised mostly of working-class citizens. And the Unionists uh, were all about making the government secular again and helping the lower class. Okay, so also not a bad thing? No. No. Uh, One second. What the fuck? (laughs) So, okay, back to real history. Uh, so these two parties, they're very divided culturally, mm-hmm. uh, but both of them wanted to return the government to a constitutional government and hated the government in charge right now. Right. So they have their cultural differences and even religious differences, but they have a common enemy. Right. Okay, so, so this reminds me of the uh, the Chinese revolution with the communists joining with the nationalists to fight exactly. off the Exactly, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So these two parties, uh, they allied together, which sounds good so far. And this alliance between the liberals and the unionists became known as the Young Turks Uprising. Okay. uh, Because a lot of young people were interested and, you know, wanted change, which we've seen again and again in some good ways and some bad ways, right? Yeah, well, that's just just history, man. Yeah. yeah. But of course, uh, why were they called the Young Turks? Well, they, they wanted this new beginning for Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. Uh, oh. Because they didn't like where it was going. So they were like, 
a, the young part was like a rebirth thing. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it looks like. Okay. Um, and okay. young Turk is actually now a word uh, or a phrase that's used even today to basically describe anyone who who wants to reboot the system in a way. If that makes sense. Okay. Like kind of. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so they wanted this this new beginning uh, for their for their empire, which we've heard we've heard a lot of phrases similar to "new beginning." Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm on board for now because I like what they they stand for. The but let's hold up here real quick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because these new beginnings, right? Um, yeah. I get leery of those kinds of things. Right. Um. Because the new beginnings often aren't they're often retroactively destructive yes so with mao the elimination of history mm-hmm. uh with with stalin same thing the elimination of art everything's going to propaganda yeah with hitler eliminate you know get rid of these years of oppression or whatever throw off your chains you know yep join the nazi party right you know ah just get on board you know and it's mostly right. young people who are like you know starry-eyed and filled with you know hope because oh god the world we grew up in was so bad and like for these guys clearly pretty damn bad yeah right so things have not been good same with china same Mm -hmm. with russia same with germany um yeah it's somebody going we don't have to stand for this shit yep right and so that makes sense that it's young people yeah yeah okay all right Uh, but it sounds good on the surface it it sounds good uh yeah yeah, and they're they're united. So, and again, it's it's the people versus the man or whatever. And yeah. we can all agree that the man is is bad. But it's just, what are you gonna do instead? Yeah, Ugh. that's that seems to be a sort of a hallmark of these kind of uprising. It's it's like, fuck everything, and then they do it, and they're like, oh, what the shit do we do now? And they we usually may- get into a war or start a genocide or something. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what happens. Oh, fucking Christ. I don't yeah. even know anything about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. So we'll get into that. But, but first, uh, so the actual revolution, it just goes picture perfect, actually. Um... Because it turns out pretty much all of the Ottoman soldiers have had their pride and their jobs hurt by the fact that the Empire has just been losing for like the last hundred years. Yeah. So pretty much the entire army joins the revolution, which... Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I get kind of leery whenever the army's on board with a revolution. Very Okay. No. Wait. hmm. Did I just make a mistake? I said, I said the Wehrmacht did the same thing. Is that true? In a way, I mean... Yeah, kind of. I mean, they were the... They were fighting for Nazi Germany. Yeah, I mean, they threw their lot in against the socialists, so... Or the communists. Not the socialists. They're socialists, James. (laughs) Yes, the communists. (laughs) uh, Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's very familiar. All right. Yeah. So, the revolt begins in July of 1908, and Sultan Abdul Hamid II tries to crush it, but he has no soldiers. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, on July 24th, uh, the Sultan basically gives up and announces the restoration of a constitutional government. Hooray! Wow, there you go. Yeah, Victory. so like in, in less than two months, it, it goes really well. It, so, you, you, you could stop you there. Go. You're right. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a problem. Oh, 
So now that the Sultan has pretty much become a symbol, and the Constitution has been ratified again, there's no common enemy holding the Unionists and the Liberals together, which, again, like you said, sounds like China. <laughs> Just like China. Yeah, as soon as the Japanese are out, let's turn on each other. Mm. So the Young Turks, uh, they begin turning against one another politically. Classic democracy at work. <laughs> right! Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess. So in the election of 1908, the union, the Unionist Party just crushes the Liberal Party pretty much everywhere. Really? Uh, yeah. And all of the empire, uh, all over the empire, the working class just takes complete control. What? And they have no idea how to lead or how to govern. And from my, from what I could see in this is. The, the Liberal Party had a lot more of those upper-class citizens, or upper-middle-class citizens, as well as minorities. Whereas most of the Turkish population is, is Islamic, Turkish, and lower-class or working-class. So they right. would see these kind of like... There's that class difference again, that class struggle. Christ, this is predating the Russian Revolution. Oh yeah, it is. It, it's... What uh, the this, it's just so interesting to me. There's so many things was <laughs> in this there, story. Was there a Marxist influence in this, do you think? Ooh, probably. I'm just curious because, like, the literature was out there. People were reading it, and, you know, Nietzsche was, right. like, predicting this shit. Like, everything's gonna go to hell! Um, a lot of people were predicting it, actually, just because of that material. But Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay, my mind has been blown. All right. Yeah, well, th just hold on, because this... Uh, I I had to cover the politics of this just because it's so interesting, and we've touched on so many of these subjects before. Yeah. Okay, yeah. carry on. Okay, so uh, so the Unionists just take complete control of the country in the election of 1908. But things don't really go well in the Empire, even though the Young Turks had promised that everything would be better. Right. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So there are bandits everywhere, crime is still everywhere, and we're still the, di the divide between religious and ethnic minorities and the Muslim-Turkish majority is just getting worse. Well, fuck. Yep. Uh, and then the Sultan tries to stage a counter-coup to take back his empire and rule by Sharia law again. Uh-huh. Uh, and on April 13th, 1909, the army, who now supports the Sultan, because uh, remember, the army was behind the Young Turks at first, but now they're back on the Sultan's side because nothing changed. So the Sultan has the army, and he also has masses of theological students, clerics, <laughs> and religious people. All re They all revolt, and they pack the streets of Istanbul, rioting and shouting, We want Sharia. What? Yeah. Wait. So Holy shit. Yeah, it's... Complicate. There are like three factions, right? You have the the loyalists, I, I could say, the people who support the Sultan and Sharia Islamic law, and then you have the Young Turks, where you've got the Unionists, uh, who remind me of Marxists in a way, mm -hmm. and then uh, the liberals, who are kind of more democracy capitalism. It sounds like, right? Right. So it's just these three factions, and it's just a mess. Wow. Yeah, so thankfully the Young Turks again ally together because they both hate the Sultan and they both don't want a religious government. So okay. they ally together, they stop the Sultan, the riot was put down, and the Sultan was basically stripped of all political power that he had left, basically being left as an icon. Kind of like uh, the British monarchy in a way. Oh, okay, okay. So he has Shit. no power now. Uh, so now the Sultan and the old government is gone and the Unionists and liberals start to battle it out again. Of course they uh, do. 
And like I said earlier, the Liberals pretty much completely lost the election of 1908, and the Unionists have complete control. So the Unionists immediately strengthened and centralized the Ottoman government, cut out all foreign influence because they want an Ottoman country, right? Right. Uh, they give more money to schools, uh, they provide subsidies for the education of women, uh, they strengthen the Empire's transportation routes, and, like, all these things are pretty good. Okay, but let's, let's look at that. Yeah. Let's, let's look at that a little bit closely. Yes. Centralize the government. These are the Unionists. These are the, the, uh, working class types? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so they centralize the government. They cut off all foreign influence. Is that something that like North Korea to you? Ooh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> that sound like Germany? Yeah. A little bit? It's very nationalistic. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so they give more money to their schools, which is mm -hmm. a little... That's a little bit like... That's a little bit like Germany. You wonder what if there was any propaganda that went in with that. I'm certain there was. Oh, yeah. Um, subsidies and education for women. That's a hallmark. That's a hallmark of, of these movements is uh, is a, yeah. uh, a pushed for women's rights. I will say, though, this is, I mean, this is in the early 1900s. This is before women can vote in America. Yeah, yeah. So, And, I mean, just a few years earlier, they're being ruled by Sharia law. So that is pretty amazing. That's progress. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, China's whole thing, North Korea's whole thing, uh, Russia's whole thing... Yeah. Even Germany's whole thing is, you know, arm in arm, mm -hmm. um, equality. We're all in this together. Right? Yeah. Not saying that's a bad thing, but it, it's a, it's a hallmark. Yeah. Um, it's and often I, used to, to cover up the other things, perhaps. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. I, I think I told you this story. I was playing Company of Heroes 2, mm -hmm. um, and in that game, uh, there are female soldiers on the Russian side. Um, uh-huh. Mostly snipers. And I had a friend leaning over my shoulder watching me play. He's like, the Russians were so progressive having women in the army. <laughs> and I was like, did you just say, <laughs> that's what you noticed? <laughs> oh, okay. They got female snipers. Yay them. Uh, well, okay. They're also exterminating people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It just stands out to me. I, yeah. It's, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, messy. <laughs> it's messy. Um, and transportation routes, that sounds like an autobahn. Uh, mm. Yeah. Right? Um, and of course, yeah. the, the Russians in, you know, use slave labor essentially to build new railroads and railroads things all over the things, country. Yeah. Uh, I can't yeah. do an equivalent in China necessarily, but I'm sure infrastructure was a, was a main goal for someone like Mao. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, it was. They industrialized... They went full industrial, and that would require transportation yep. routes to be a little bit perfected. Yeah, okay, and the Unionist so, Party here was all about industrialization as well. Right. So, a lot so, of weird connections. Right, so th these things are, like, looking good on the surface. Yeah. Except for maybe the cutoff of all foreign influence. Right? Yeah. We're giving and, money to schools, we're providing education and subsidies for women, we're strengthening the infrastructure, things are looking good, right? It's, yeah. It's almost like we're pushing for this, like, dream world. Yeah. Um, but, but think about it, like, if you were a Turk at this time, you don't have the Russian Revolution as an example. You don't no. have Mao or North Korea's example. This is, this is like one of the first times it's ever been tried. Yeah, this is... It Sugar sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, this is, I mean, I can't even, like, well, that's the thing, is like, you know, when we were talking about Joseph Goebbels, it was like, oh, would you be a Nazi? It's like, put yourself in that position. You've been fucked over really yeah. hard. And some guy comes along and says, we're gonna do all this shit and we're gonna fix it. 
And then he starts doing all that shit and fixing it. You know? Yeah. And then That's you're, compelling. And then you're like, well, I can't be against this, can I? No. You know? Then you're, you know, then you're counter-revolutionary. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That, oh, that is interesting. I didn't know this when all, all went on in the Ottoman Empire. Neither did I. I yeah. knew fuck all about this. Well, and just, just wait, because it gets more interesting. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, so now it's uh, it's coming up to the 1912 election, and both parties are trying to get more followers. Uh, so you still have the Unionist and Liberal divide. Um, mm-hmm. And what does this look like in a mostly Islamic empire? Basically, it means appealing to the most Muslims, because right. most of the population is Islamic. Which right, is well, weird. well, hmm. well, uh-huh. we try to appeal to Christians, don't we? Oh, for sure. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. it's whatever, whatever the people want. We're gonna tell them what they want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. But what's weird is that both parties still support a secular government. Uh huh. But they want support from Muslims. It, it, it's just weird. But I guess you have that cultural. Well, it, actually, it, it sounds like America in a lot of way, where you have Democratic and Republican. Republican candidates, and they all say, like, I'm a good Christian, right? Yes. Like, everyone wants that Christian vote. Even though we're a secular nation, we have that history of being started on Christian principles. It sounds like Turkey, almost. Like, wow. Oh my god, my mind like is being blown here. Yeah, yeah, I was I, writing this just like, wow, there's well, so many things. I mean, you could accuse me of detecting a false pattern or something, but for Christ's sake. I mean, we started, we did Trotsky last year. Yeah. And that's when I first picked up on this these hallmarks. I'm like, ah, oh, interesting. And then it was Mao. Mm-hmm. And then it was Goebbels. And Kim Jong-il. And Kim Jong-il. Or Kim Il-sung. Oh, yeah, Kim Il-sung. And then, um... Uh, this guy? Trisenko, yeah. And then Lysenko. Yeah. What the fuck? It's just crazy. What the okay. fuck? I, okay, hold up. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. Just hold the fuck up. What is this? <laughs> What do you mean? What is this? This is this pattern. What the fuck is this? Mm, mm-hmm. Why does um, this happen this way? Yeah. Well, it all started in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, that's why the fucking story exists. I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. The the two the two things that I see over and over and over again in all of these like historical examples are first of all it's that old saying power corrupts yeah (laughs) and second of all it's this us versus them mentality Mm -hmm. like there's always that group of enemies who we have to fight against no matter what whether it be the kulaks or the jews or the the liberal islamicists or whatever Mm -hmm. like there's always that group yeah 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 yeah. holy fucking christ Uh, look I want a cigarette so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Oh my Ugh, god. It's just one of those moments. It's just one of the... I can't even, like... I, I mean, maybe it's not the same for the listeners, but, like, for me, having read all this research, this gone through all this this shit. Yeah. Well, it's even like Martin Luther, too, isn't it? Mm, mm, yeah. Why the fuck does it happen like this all the time? It's... 
and and you can change the names, you can change the politics and the religion or whatever, yeah. but it's still that same mathematical equation. It's like a three-act structure in a movie. Yeah, exactly. You know, we learned about that, and I, I always rolled my eyes. I'm like, ah, movies don't need a three-act structure. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, they need a structure. Yeah. And typically, if you're making... I mean, there's there's a few, like, typical movies you can make. Like... A tragedy is things start good and they go bad. A comedy is things start bad and they go good. Right? Yeah. It's all about creating that contrast, right? Um, you want things to be almost as bad as they can be to being almost as good as they can be. Like the Shawshank Redemption. It's so moving because your yep. guy is in prison, you know, being gang raped mm -hmm. and all this shit. Um, and then at the end he's got a boat and he's in Zihuataneo and all the rest. And Yeah. Um, that's, that's how you write a script that gets people's attention. You create sure. that strong contrast. Um, and that's the pattern. And this pattern of power dynamics. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. We're taking the power from the upper class and we're giving it to the lower class. We're giving it back to the people. You know, it reminds me of The Dark Knight Rises with Bane. Yeah. You know, he takes over the prison, he arms the prisoners or whatever, commits some acts of terror and captures Gotham and he says like we're giving it back to you the people mm -hmm. and they have these sham trials where they're executing people um oh yeah. Jesus Christ man I wow I, we could just stop the podcast right here we could uh <laughs> I know there's, we're not I know well, we're there's not there so much yet. more that j but, just hold on like just, okay but let me just say right now I don't know yeah. this story and I fucking know what's coming yeah, <laughs> well, you said it just a few minutes ago. You said war and genocide, and that's exactly what happens. Oh my God. Uh, first, some more corruption, though. Oh Christ. Well, actually, no. Before anything, it's name calling. Oh really? So, yeah. And so, uh, again, so the liberals and the unionists are both trying to appeal to that Muslim demographic. Uh huh. So they be they begin calling each other out, saying, "You're a worse Muslims than we are." We're the true Muslims. And first the liberals call the unionists bad Muslims, and then the unionists call the liberals bad Muslims. And it reminds me of America poli American politics today. Like No shit. Yeah. Who, no who, shit. Who's more Christian? Is it the Republican Party or the Democratic Party? Because okay. both want to appeal to that Christian demographic. So, back to the Ottoman Empire. The liberals and the unionists are just calling each other bad Muslims. Uh... And the Unionists then rig the entire election of 1912, which results in the Unionists winning 269 of the 275 Parliament seats, and the Liberals only won six seats. Reichstag! Yes! <laughs> uh, but everybody pretty much knows that the Unionists uh, were the ones who cheated, and now all bets were off, because Reichstag the law's fire. broken. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Go on. So then the Liberals start a military coup. Mm. So the unionists do, they rig the elections, and the liberals are now doing a coup. Uh, and this guy named Mehmed Said, uh, who is supported by the liberals, takes control of the empire, and then dissolves the parliament, which is controlled by the unionists. Fucking Fuhrer. Yeah, so his justification for dissolving the parliament was, hey, you guys rigged the election, while me and my party, we're gonna get rid of you. We're draining the swamp or whatever. 
Yeah. Uh, so this this doesn't last long because then the unionists overthrow the liberals and take over the government. It just sounds so familiar. Dude, this is the dynastic cycle. These are the it tribes is. at war. Yeah. Wow. So these the two parties hate each other so much and they're so corrupt and so de deceitful they're willing to destroy democracy in order to stay in charge that's what so i got this is this. how democracy dies with thunderous applause <laughs> yeah. right it right? exactly yeah 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 holy so, crap okay it's now the year 1913 and the unionist government is pretty much in complete control the Ottoman Parliament is allowed to function, but in order to make sure that they stay in control, the Unionists make three men in charge of the entire Ottoman Empire, and these three men became known as the Three Pashas, or leaders. Oh. Yeah. God. Okay. So, okay, now That's not going... gonna last. <laughs> no. So let's go back to our guy, Mehmed Talat. Um, now, during this whole revolution, we're gonna go back in time, He's a postal worker in Thessalonica, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when the Young Turks, uh, when they begin fighting against the Sultan in that Young Turk revolution in 1908, Mehmed, he wants to join, but he's turned down membership for the Unionist Party. They turn right. him down. I don't know why. There's not much information on it. All right. But well, after... The go, Unionists go are middle class? No, they're the lower class. They're the lower class, the and he's the leader of a post office. That's true. That could have it's, something to do with it. It's possible that it could have something to do with it. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. But once uh, once the revolution works, he's allowed to join the Unionists. All right. Uh, and he actually becomes part of the Ottoman Parliament, and he just keeps on working his way up until in 1909 he was appointed Minister of Interior Affairs. Uh... Then he became minister of something, which I didn't write. <laughs> uh, and he, then he becomes secretary general in 1912. So he just keeps on working his way up. All and right. this is kind of what I, I figured, is the way he did it is... Remember that when the unionists took control, mm -hmm. they're all just blue-collar like blue collar workers, and they don't know how to run things. Whereas Mehmed, he's run an entire postal office. He probably had a skill of organization... Right? And leadership? That, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So maybe he was just able to kind of, as there was a power vacuum, just fly up the ranks. Wow. Yeah. That's my that's my interpretation. There wasn't a lot of information on it, but it kind of makes sense to me. Well, yeah. I mean, Hitler. Sure. Uh, what experience <laughs> yeah. did he have? He ran Not a movement. A lot. Yeah. yeah. He uh, was a soldier. Yeah, yeah. He, well... They kicked out President Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. No. I, okay, I, I'm keep going. I'm getting lost in this. Okay, so then there's that rigged election by the Unionists, and then okay. there's the coup by the Liberals, and then there's that counter-coup by the Unionists, and then we have the three Pashas that are set in charge by the Unionists, right? Yeah. Are we okay. okay so far? Yeah, I'm following. Okay, well, Mehmed Talat is chosen to be one of the three Pashas. Okay. So our guy, or the guy, not our guy, the guy we're covering, yeah. Mehmed, he is now known as Talat Pasha, and he rules the entire Ottoman Empire along with two other guys and the Unionist Party. Hmm. Sounds okay. scary. Um, yeah. But there's a problem. 
Through all of this political rockiness, ethnic and religious minorities are really starting to not like the Unionist Party, and vice versa. Okay. The Unionist Party wants a strong centralized government and a strong Ottoman Empire, and this makes things difficult for minorities who want autonomy, or at least want to have some say in the government. And uh, perhaps the biggest minority in question here are the Christian Armenians living within the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and they've Why? been living under... Say that again? They're they're the biggest minority in question. Uh, One of the biggest ones. Well, they're Christians first of all, whereas okay. the rest of Turkey is mostly Muslim, and they've also been they want their land back. Basically, they want to be they want Armenia because uh, they've been displaced for hundreds of years. Yeah, they, they at least want a bigger piece of the pie. They want representation, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that that's uh, the Unionists. They want a centralized centralized government. Um, that's not going to fly for them. So, basically, the Liberal Party, uh, they had largely welcomed Armenians, but now the Unionists and the Three Pashas have complete control, and they want to do this little thing called Turkification. And uh, we've heard phrases like that before. Dekulakization. Yeah, pretty much. What the fuck? Well, and then the restoration of Germany. Yeah. What did they, what did they call it? Uh, I don't know. Mao called it uh, cultural or the Great Leap Forward. Yep. Uh, Kim Il Sung had his name for it. I can't remember what it was. Yep. It's Stalin that... dekulakization. What uh, the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? And then, well, we were just talking about it with Guy Fox. They mm-hmm. were trying to get rid of all the Catholics. You're right. Yeah. What the fuck? It's the same thing. Same <sighs> shit, different day. Okay. 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 Keep going. You're stronger than I am. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Mehmed, or Talat Pasha, as he is now entitled, he seems to have hated Armenians for quite a long time, even before he got into power. Uh, in 1910, he said, If I ever come to power in this country, I will use all my might to exterminate the Armenians. That's Again, a red flag. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now he's now he's leading the country. Um, and the Unionists are behind him because they agree that the Ottoman Empire can only be saved if the entire population is Turkified. All for one, one for all, basically. And uh, in Mehmed's own words, there can be no question of equality until we have succeeded in our task of Ottoman, Ottomanizi- Ottomanizing the Empire. Ottomanizing. Ottomanizing. That, there you go. I can't <laughs> They're going to turn into little tables. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, God, there can be no question of equality until we have succeeded in our task of automizing the empire. Oh, God. Um, We've heard that before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, so. Fuck. I need to, like. Okay, we. Jesus. Yeah. So the process of Turkification began in the mid 1910s. Uh, and the British ambassador, General Lothar, he saw what the Unionists were doing uh, and said of Turkification, quote, the, uni- the Unionist Committee have given up any idea of Ottomanizing all the non-Turkish elements by sympathetic and constitutional ways has long been manifest. To them, Ottoman evidently means Turk, and their present policy of Ottomanization is one of pounding the non-Turkish elements in a Turkish mortar. He called it. Yep. 
Then, in the in the midst of all this, oh my God, Aaron, do you know what time oh, it is? Shit. It's time for World War One. Uh, that sounds uh, like such small potatoes at this point. <laughs> I know, but you called it. You said war, and here's oh. war. Yuck. All right. So, the Ottoman Empire, led by the three Pashas, one of which is Talat Pasha, uh, joins World War One by not taking sides, but just by launching an attack on the Russian navy. And then allying with the Central Powers, but only after they attacked the Allies, which is odd. What the shit? You'd, okay. you'd think you'd you'd want your friends before you start fighting, but whatever, Ottomans, just oh, you yeah. do you. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the three Pashas, including our guy Mehmed, decide that World War One would be a great thing for uniting and strengthening the Ottoman Empire. There it is again, right? <laughs> war will strengthen us, war will unite us. I want to bang uh, my head on a wall. I know. <sighs> so, spoiler alert, World War I was not good for the Ottomans. Uh, we're talking like five million dead Ottomans and the destruction of their entire army. Wait. But that comes on later. So the, Ottoman, the Ottomans were allied with Germany. Germany and the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, yes. And, the Central Powers. And Russia? No, Russia was uh, allied. Half Russia was for, against the Germans. Yep, and then they pulled out because they had their little communist revolution. Yeah, that tiny little Russian revolution. Little, the little thing, yep. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, anyway, our guy Mehmed starts to think that World War One would also be a great time to eliminate all of the Armenians living in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, let's do it all at the same time. All right. So the other two Pashas agree with him, and on April 24th, 1915, Mehmed issues an order to close all Armenian political organizations within the empire and to arrest all Armenians involved with politics. And he justified this by basically... <laughs> <laughs> oh. What? Sorry. I, I burped in the middle of my sentence. Jesus Christ! Get a grip! <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Sorry. So... So, okay, he justifies this by basically stating that the Armenians were allied with the Allied powers of World War One and were thus traitors. Which Wha sounds familiar. <laughs> Wait. So, I need another cup of coffee, but he's saying... He's saying all Armenians in any sort of power position in the Ottoman Empire have to be kicked out... Because the Armenians have allied with the Allied powers of World War One and well, are thus traitors. How were they allied with them? There, who knows? Uh, yeah, it don't doesn't question fucking matter. You're a traitor it? too. Yeah. No, it's like get out of politics altogether. Mm -hmm. Wow, dude. Yeah. That's like that's the whole thing that happened in Germany. Oh, oh no! Trust me, the, this whole system. You're gonna just. Just put Jews in the place of Armenians, and it's the same fucking story. Oh my god. Yep. Okay, so that... Right. Yeah, so that night, um, Armenian politicians, clergymen, authors, journalists, lawyers, and teachers were rounded up in Istanbul, arrested, and later murdered. And this event begins what is now referred to as the Armenian Genocide. Well, I should say, in some places, it's referred to as the Armenian Genocide, in other places, it's referred to other things, uh, and, and we'll get to that. It's not even recognized, right? Yeah. Oh, trust okay. me, it's it's way worse than you than you think. So, okay, Mehmed then issued an order called the Te the Tessir Law, something like that, uh, which began the mass exportation of all Armenians living within the Ottoman Empire. 
The deportees were forced at gunpoint to leave the empire. They were not given any humanitarian assistance, and the Ottoman government government did not give them any supplies at all, as they were forced marched through the fucking desert and out of the empire. Just get them all out. Okay. Meanwhile, the, the Unionists uh, gave orders to Ottoman soldiers to basically rape and murder uh, any of the Armenians they wanted to, as they see fit. And Mehmed was the mastermind behind this all. And because of his experience with sending telegrams early in life, he had one installed in his own home so that he could give direct orders to the guys carrying out these atrocities. And this whole thing was pretty well covered up. Uh... Everybody knew that the deportations were happening, but deemed it necessary for the war effort because of propaganda and whatnot. Wow. Um, it was not until the Armenians and the guards were isolated out in the desert that the murders and rapes began on massive scales. Um, but it, it happened even in the cities, and people just turned a blind eye to it in so many places. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Wow. And the person behind it all was... Talat Pasha, the, the guy. And uh, there was so much confuse, confusion about this all because people didn't really know what, what actually was happening. Because some there were rumors of this mass killing, but most of the civilians, it seems, just kind of thought we're just, you know, they're traitors. We're pushing them out of our country. Fair enough. Not so. <sighs> so Mehmed would send out the orders via telegraph. The telegraphs would be read and then destroyed, and then orders would be carried out in the desert with only the soldiers and the Armenians really seeing what truly happened in many of these cases. Uh, but some people did find out pretty much right away. Uh, the German ambassador, Paul Metternich, found out and was completely horrified as to what was happening. Uh, now remember that the Germans are allied with the Ottomans and kind right. of need their help in World War I. Uh, but this did not stop the German ambassador from going to the three Pashas and defending the Armenians. So, good for him. Yeah, wow. A German, no less. Yes. And Mehmed responded by telling him, quote, The work must be done now. After the war, it will be too late. And then the German ambassador was kicked out of the Ottoman Empire and told never to come back. The new German ambassador, oh. Johann... The, the new German ambassador, Johann von Bernstorff, also became aware, uh, aware of things and went to Mehmed to discuss it and describes the following discussion as, quote, When I kept on pestering him about the Armenian question, he once said with a smile, What on earth do you want? The question is settled. There are no more Armenians. <sighs> Isn't that terrifying? Like, the question... Armenian question, Jewish the question. The Armenian it's, question. Yeah. So, That's uh, fucking chilling. It is. So there was also a Swedish guy working with the Swedish ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, and he said, quote, The way the Armenian problem was solved was hair-raising. I can still see in front of me Talat's cynical expression when he emphasized that the Armenian question was solved. There it is again. What the fuck? Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. That. So, why do they call it that? I feel like they they say question, so right. they don't have to say answer. Yeah. You know, like what's the answer Ugh. to the Armenian problem? The, the Armenian question. Well, we're not going to say. It's just going to happen. Yeah. You know. Wow, dude. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Carry uh, on. Okay. The American ambassador uh, Henry Morgenthau Senior. 
he talked to Mehmed Talat Pasha on several occasions, and one of their exchanges went uh, the following, quote, and this is the American ambassador saying this. Right. Suppose a few Armenians did betray you, I said. Is that a reason for destroying a whole race? Is that an excuse for making innocent women and children suffer? Those things are inevitable, he replied. Ugh. And Talat Pasha later asked the American ambassador to hand over a list of American insurance policyholders belonging to dead Armenians so that the state could take over the funds. Uh, the American ambassador refused and replied that, quote, it was one of the most astonishing requests I have ever heard. And even a lot of Ottoman politicians at the time found out about the whole thing and cried out against it, but the three Pashas were in complete control and nothing was stopped. Okay. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna vomit. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, okay. don't even, I don't even know what to say because, like, I it's mean, just, it's it's, it's so familiar. I know, and uh, like the people, shit. I don't and know. Before this, I mean, I'd heard of the Armenian genocide. I knew it happened, but the way in how it happened, people got to know this. <laughs> this yeah. is ridiculous. Jesus. Okay. And, so speaking of, um, I want to talk about the actual Armenian genocide really, really briefly because it's so overlooked and forgotten. Okay. And I've met people who have no idea that it happened. Uh, there are a lot of people out there. So, uh, systematically, this is how it worked. First of all, important political, cultural, and religious Armenians were removed from power. Then property was taken from Armenian civilians. Their shops were shut down. They were forced to identify themselves as Armenians. Oh Sound like God. Nazi Germany? Yeah. Next, they were forced on death marches through the mountains of Turkey and the deserts of Syria until whoever was left was outside of Ottoman territory. Massacres, robbery, and rape were rampant all, away, all along the way on these death marches by the guards. Sickness and disease and starvation were also rampant, and witnesses who survived and who saw this say that entire roads were just strewn with bodies for hundreds of miles. What um fuck? Okay, now listen to this sentence. German workers who were helping the Ottomans build railways also report that Armenians were forced into railway cars like cattle in order to be shipped away. German workers saw <laughs> that humans are being loaded onto trains like cattle. It's just, you wonder. What the fuck? Like, did any of these guys go back and then later join the SS? Ugh. I, Who knows? I, I'm sure... Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's just... It's it's ironic at any uh, at any way. It's just... Uh, what the but fuck? But there, there's... We have to talk about this more just so it's out there. So... Okay. Unfortunately, like, rape was systematically implemented. Um, the Ottoman soldiers were commanded to do to the women whatever you wish, and that's a direct command. Thus, Armenian women and even young girls were regularly gang-raped almost to death and then left on the road to die. Many were also taken and sold as sex slaves, and the demand for Armenian sex slaves went through the roof throughout the entire Middle East at this point. Thus, in many cases, the men were all killed and the women carted away to be sold. Sold? Sold as slaves, as sex slaves. So like within, now there's 
within, yeah, within the Ottoman Empire? Within and around, too. N- so no now there's a fucking way. slave trade. Yes. <laughs> it's What horrific. the hell? And we're not done. Listen to this. So okay. a network of 25 concentration camps were set up in order to systematically starve large groups of Armenians and also help congregate the women so that the best ones could be gathered for the slave markets. This is like 110 years ago. Less than. Less than that. It's... Yeah. Uh, so, one wow. American... Wow. Yeah. Wow. One American citizen who was traveling through the Ottoman Empire at the time said that piles of dead Armenians on the sides of roads were just commonplace, and that there were mass graves of tens of thousands of people everywhere, and that thousands of Armenian orphans roamed the countryside trying to avoid the Ottoman soldiers. And he said they would, they would like, pick apart pieces of dung in order to find seeds to eat. Just horrifying. I heard a very similar anecdote from a person who escaped from a concentration camp in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was on yeah. a documentary years ago. That was the first time I ever heard about North Korea. I was, like, probably Ugh. 11. Yeah. Didn't know anything about it. Wow. Jesus. Okay, now listen to this next part. Fuck. So, the Unionist Party uh, controlling the Ottoman Empire also organized what was called the Special Organization, which has, in recent years, been compared directly to the SS because they're basically the same. So the secret organization was a secret police military unit responsible for the majority of all Armenian deportations and crime. And get this, the entire unit was made almost entirely of prisoners from Ottoman prisons. They were allowed their freedom as long as they joined this unit, and then they were allowed to do whatever they wished to do on the Armenians. Oh my god, it's, it's Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, it really is. You've got an SS unit made of prisoners, basically. And they're told to do whatever they want to Armenians. So. Sweet Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, systematic massacres were also (sighs) rampant. Uh, The quickest ways for Ottoman authorities to kill thousands of Armenians was to burn them alive, put them on boats, and then capsize the boats in the middle of the Black Sea, use toxic gas, morphine overdoses, poison food supplies, and also just firing squads. Also, all property belonging to Armenians was confiscated by the state. It's estimated that as much as $339 billion in today's money was taken from Armenians, as well as the loss of 2,000 churches and 200 monasteries that were all destroyed. That's exactly what happened in Mao's China. It's exactly. Exactly, yes. It's exactly what happened in Mao's China. It's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Wow. So, um, as far as how many Armenians were killed, we really have no idea. Uh, but estimations are as much as 1.5 million, with some that go higher. Uh, the whole thing is absolutely horrific. And as you can see, so many of these methods were used by or inspired the Nazis. Um, and interestingly enough, the Armenian genocide is often forgotten or overlooked because of this. The Holocaust was bigger and more horrendous and just a few years later. So the Armenian Holocaust is often overshadowed by this and thus forgotten. Um, Mm -hmm. which it can't be. We have to remember all genocides. Yeah. Um, so while, while this genocide was happening, it does seem that the world did know about it. 
And a lot of aid was sent there uh, from countries like Sweden, America, Britain, and many others. But this was difficult mainly because, like, World War One is going on. Right. And right. also the Ottoman Empire was the enemy of most of these countries who were interesting in helping. Uh-huh. So most of the Allied food and aid didn't get in. But I, I will not. say... It was probably confiscated right, at the border. Right, yeah, if it even got there, yeah. Christ. I will say, though, that... um. Uh, the Austrians and Germans did know of it, too, and remember they're allied with the Ottomans. So, uh, there were many Austrian and German soldiers stationed in the Ottoman Empire for support and training purposes and whatever, and some of them witnessed the Armenian Genocide, uh, and many of these guys did all they could to stop it. They wrote back to their countries calling for the end of this. But again, World War One makes this difficult because the Ottoman Empire is basically your ally. Yeah. So you don't want to piss them off and lose an ally, because uh, mm -hmm. you're already losing the war at this point. So there's, it's just so complicated. Um, and there's so much more on this. Like, I've only briefly hinted on the Armenian Holocaust, genocide or Holocaust. So go read more if you're interested. Uh, Christ. But here's the thing that got me. Uh, perhaps most horrifying of this all is that so many countries and leaders still do not recognize the Armenian Genocide as a genocide. What? So, Why? Well, there's politics involved. First of all, if you do that, you might piss off Muslim populations. You're definitely going to piss off Turkey. It's, it's bullshit. So I don't really know the reasons why besides some speculation. But get this. It wasn't until fucking 2010 that the fucking USA recognized the Armenian Genocide as a genocide. What? 2010? So, yes. So, okay, this doesn't mean that we denied it happening. We just said it wasn't a genocide. Because genocide means, like, this was systematic by the government. It wasn't, you know, accidental yeah, starvation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the USA, of course, did say that this happened. I mean, the USA tried to send aid there while it was happening. But it wasn't right. until 2010 that we were like, no, this was a genocide. This was systematic murder. Um, and even President Obama refrained from referring to it as a genocide. Um, even though one of he apparently made a promise when he was running that he would recognize it as a genocide. But nope. So, there's, there's got to be some... He didn't? No. Never? No, uh, not that I could find. Um, oh my god. So there's gotta be some sort of political... I'm sure a lot of weird politics and religious views. But get this, not even all of our 50 states recognize it. Mississippi what? and Alabama still refuse to recognize it as a genocide. Still? Uh, still. Also, countries like Israel, Britain, China, India, Spain still do not call it a genocide. They say that it happened, but it's not a genocide. So, uh, just, I encourage the listeners to go on the Wikipedia page for the Armenian Genocide, and there's a map of countries that recognize the Armenian Genocide as a genocide, and the vast majority of countries do not. What? what? Like, what the fuck? What? Uh, most of the world does not call the Armenian Genocide a genocide. What do they call it? They call it all sorts of things, like casualties of World War One, or just, you know, just deportation with a little, some unhappy uh, side effects almost. But, because genocide strictly means that the government carried it out systematically to murder a population. But I thought Tal P Pasha was... 
It, that's what it was. It is a genocide. Like, but pa- Pasha said... Yes. I don't... Here's the thing, though. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, real quick, I will say, though, that Pope Francis, he uh, he officially recognized it as a genocide, um, which is a lot of support for from the Catholic Church. And he, he called for all countries to do likewise. So that's a huge step. That is hooray, a big step. Hooray for Pope Francis. Like, this yeah. needs... It's... No one knows about it. Like... Uh, it it drives me insane. Wow. Anyway, also the Armenian geno- Armenian genocide denial is also quite rampant. Um, even today, the Turkish government claims that the deaths of the Armenians was not a genocide. So they're they're flat out against it. Like, yeah, the deaths may have happened, but it was not systematic. And even if the the deaths were systematic, they were justified because the Armenians were working with the Russians. Fuck off. Oh my god. <laughs> that's the god. same fucking thing that Talat Pasha said. Yeah, that's right? the same They're thing. Traitors. That, that's the same thing that, uh. God, what was. Yeah, the. Uh, Jesus Christ. It's just the same shit. M- Mao and yep. Stalin. Same thing. It's, oh, you know, <laughs> too bad. Yeah, they know. were enemies. They were enemies. We had yeah. to get rid of them. Yeah. And they were counter-revolutionary, and we didn't do it on purpose, you know. They just starved, you know. Yeah. Things got bad, they just starved, you know. It's not a genocide. No, it's like, well, if you go look at the story, you know, you stole the food. Mm-hmm. And you did do more than just starve them. You killed them if they tried to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you accused them of being counter-revolutionary, and you threw them in a gulag. Yep. And that's, how is that not a genocide? I don't understand. I know. Okay. Well, and there's also a lot of politics because remember uh, how much there's over three hundred billion dollars stole stolen from yeah. the Armenians. Well, m- most of this money was acquired by the Ottoman state, and of course the Ottoman Empire just falls a few years later at the end of World War One. But Turkey emerges from it, and much of Turkey's infrastructure was built on the three hundred billion stolen from dead Armenians. No so way. There's, so there's this whole question of. If Turkey admits that this happened, they're going to have to somehow make reparations, right? And they don't want to do that. It It's almost as if um, the United States said, you know, slavery may have happened, but it was never systematic. Like, yeah. we <laughs> Maybe one or two cases, but if it did, it was on accident. And even if it did happen, like... It's justifiable because they were traitors. Yeah. It's like, what the hell are you saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What the hell are you saying? You're you're raping women and killing children. Uh, there's no justification for that. Of... No, no. If it's accidental, you're still... Oh, I mean, God. what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was an accident. I killed a person. It's like, you still go to jail. Mm-hmm. You know, the well, there's still consequences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and when you say their infrastructure was built on stolen wealth, yeah. Well, that's that's everywhere else too. Yeah, it is. But at least like some countries, you know, make reparations of some sort. Uh, Turkey's like, nope, didn't happen. We can't. Sorry, nope. We that's our money. <laughs> Oh, God. And, okay, not all of... There are many Turkish politicians who have, in recent years, and even today, are like, look, guys, we have to officially recognize that the genocide happened. But still, 
uh, as far as today, as far as I'm aware, the official statement uh, is it wasn't a genocide. Wow. So, as you can imagine, uh, tensions and relations between Turkey and Armenia, which is a country, they have always been bad. <laughs> These countries fucking hate each other. Uh, really? Rightfully so, right? Because yeah. <laughs> Armenia is like you gotta recognize this as a genocide. It's like, it's basically, imagine if Germany said the Holocaust never happened. How would relations between Israel and Germany be? <laughs> Horrible. Not, I mean, not they're good. Pretty, they're pretty rocky as it is in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah. It's well, how would our relationship be with Germany? Say that again? How would our relationship be with Germany if they said it didn't happen? Oh, God, we would invade them again. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, geez. wow, shit. Just... So, yeah. Bullshit. It's bullshit. So I threw this I threw this in here and I'm I'm definitely gonna bring it up next time the day comes around, but April twenty fourth is the official Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day and Armenians uh what would be the right word? They remember the genocide on this day. It's a day of sorrow, of course, uh all over the world, but especially among the Armenian population and in Armenia. And I, I think it should be. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? So, yeah. Crazy. I don't even know what to say to that. That's... It's so disappointing. <laughs> it's sick. It's sick, exactly. Ugh. Ugh. So, so back to Mehmed Talat Pasha, who, I'll remind fuck you... that guy. Yeah, he's the guy behind it all. He's the mastermind behind it. Um... <sighs> He's he's probably also the mastermind behind the behind the uh, Greek genocide in what? which the Ottomans systematically murdered as many as 750,000 Greek Christians living in the empire and this was like from 1914 to 1920 and he's also probably behind the Assyrian genocide in which the Ottomans killed 20,000 Assyrian Christians in these years. No, I've never heard of those. No, neither had I. So the Greek and Assyrian genocides, almost another million people, never heard of them. And, again, it's part of that Turkification process. We gotta cleanse the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> Same bullshit. So wow. let's, just, let's just finish with this section, because yeah. this Jesus guy is the worst. So by 1917, Talat Pasha became the Grand Vizier of the Ottoman Empire, which basically means that he was the sole ruler at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, so he was not one of three Pashas anymore. He's the, the He's big the guy. Fear. Yeah, basically. Uh, however, the Ottoman Empire loses World War One, of course. Uh, it's disbanded and turned into modern-day Turkey, along with a few other countries. And Talat Pasha resigned on October 14th, 1918. He then fled to Germany as his country was taken over by Allied troops and Unionist leaders were arrested. Uh, the British immediately began court-martials uh, for the Turkish leaders who were responsible for the Ottomans' part in the war, war crimes, and, of course, the genocides, which give credit to the British, right? Yeah, this is a little they, bit like Nuremberg. Yeah, it, pretty much, yeah. Um, Crazy. So, of course, Talat Pasha was absent for these courts because he's in Germany. He fled. Uh, but the Turkish and British authorities found him guilty for engineering Turkey's entry into the war, quote, by a recourse to a number of vile tricks and deceitful means, the massacre and destruction of the Armenians, and piling up fortunes for themselves through the pillage and plunder of Armenians. So this was court for 
a whole bunch of other Turkish leaders as well, uh, mm. but especially Talat Pasha because he was the leader. Right. So he was condemned to death even though he was off hiding in Germany, but basically this was kind of, you know, you can go out and get him in a way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So the British were determined to find him, uh, and even Germany offered to help find him with the British because wow, everyone was like, "You can't do this." Yeah, but do you know who really wanted to find him? Surviving Armenians, really, uh, and Armenian assassins were after Talat Pasha before he even made it into hiding. Holy. Uh, f- Fuck. And that is where we'll leave him until we return for his end and death. That needs to be a movie. I know. Holy I, I was shit. thinking about this earlier. Like, people need to know about this Armenian genocide. And, yeah, like, you could make a sort of Schindler's List movie about it because I, I think that might be a way of gathering attention because it, <laughs> no one knows about it, it unless maybe you're Armenian. Ugh. Yeah. It's fucking Christ. And then there's that Greek, the, the Greek genocide and the Assyrian genocide. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. I can't even believe that. Mm. I, I can't even believe. So, so what was that? A hundred and, 108 years ago. 108 years ago. Eight years ago. Precluding the Russian <laughs> Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, yep. the Nazi Revolution. There it is. There was this... Turkish revolution. Yep. That had the same thing. Ah. Maybe good intentions, but there's always that guy who rises and kills everyone. Well, let's... uh, I mean, okay, let me scroll up here. Yeah. In my brain. Um, okay, so we had some good things going on at the beginning, is that right? Yeah, well... So, we had a... We get rid of the Sultan and the Islamic Sharia law, mm-hmm. which... Um, sorry if you're Muslim out there who supports Sharia law. I don't think it's a good thing. I'm just gonna flat out say it. Well, you don't think theocracy is a good thing? I don't think theocracy is a good thing. No. Yeah. Uh, I, pref- I prefer democracy with a secular yeah. government. Yeah. Um, so, but that these, was good. But these, Yeah, so they centralized the government. They, they made a constitution. Off, they... They made a constitution, they gave money to schools, mm-hmm. uh, educated women, strengthened the transportation routes, that sort of thing, infrastructure. Yeah, but then... <laughs> it exactly <laughs> pales in comparison. And that's the other thing Yeah, that pisses me off about it, is because you've got these guys who are going, eh, we're gonna make, we're gonna make women equal. We're gonna give them the vote, we're gonna educate them, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, but if you're not the right kind of woman... Right. My soldiers if you're, are going to do with you, would do with you what they will. Oh yeah, if you're an Armenian woman, well, we're going to sell you on the slave market as a sex slave. Like, oof. so it's the not double it's, standard there. It's super. It's not even. How do I it, put this? It wasn't women's rights. It no, was it Turkish wasn't. Turkish rights. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. What the fuck was it? It was a. It was like a. What are those fish that live on the bottom of the ocean? They got the light sticks the anglerfish? <laughs> anglerfish. It's like the anglerfish. It's like you hang out this little... We're going to give you <laughs> some education. Yeah. No, just come over here. And then they eat you. Mm-hmm. And it's and like... it's too far gone. Yeah, well, you're in the belly of this this uh, fish, and you're, you know, you're another fish in the belly of the fish or whatever. And you're going, wait, where's my little glowy thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Where'd the glowy thing go? 
I, and I then you're promised killed. this would be better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks so good. How could it possibly be so bad? Yep. Well, I think I, what the, the road to destruction is paved with good intentions, or... Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, I don't know about that. Maybe the road uh, to destruction is paved with good advertising. Yeah, yeah, right? Or good intentions, yeah. but with a tour guide who's an asshole. <laughs> well, they advertise to your good intentions, yep. and then once they've got you seduced, you know... Yeah. It's too fucking late. Yep. Oh, Christ And maybe almighty. not for you, but maybe for your Armenian or Jewish neighbors. <laughs> the, the, the selfishness. Yeah. The, the lack of humanity and... I mean, I was listening to our Goebbels episode the other day, mm-hmm. and I we I heard the section about Herman Goering. They did the uh, the Volkssturm, and oh yeah, they brought all the people out of like restaurants and non-essential places oh, to put geez. them into total war, mm-hmm. and Goering wouldn't let them take his favorite restaurants. Wouldn't yeah. let them take yeah. people from his favorite restaurants. Mm. It's so. It's so basic mm-hmm. you know yeah it, it comes down to absolute savagery yeah you know it's i want my good food and i want whatever woman i want and i want all the money and, and i want, want all my the power, country back and i want my country back and if some people get stepped on good well you know? yeah I, I only want to be surrounded by people like me yeah yes and then and you treat the people who aren't like you as subhuman. Oh, yeah. You call them imbeciles, or you call them impure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Germany did. They labeled people as mentally ill who weren't. Yep. Um, they would label you Jewish even if you weren't, if they liked it, if yep. they liked to get rid if they wanted to get rid of you. But it's so crazy how these states masquerading as the future. Yeah. You know, ah, we're going to get rid of the four olds. You know, we're going to get rid of old traditions, old customs, old, you know, old art, old whatever. Yep. And we're going to usher in the new the new golden age of, of idealism. And it's it's all me. It's all going to be me. Um, and then there's A mass murder. deaths later, yeah. Yeah, there's mass murder, there's mass death, there's mass theft. Everything. And it's just like, you, you give yourself a pass because what? You're superior? In what way? Your yeah. ideology is superior? You know, like, how do you get there? Uh, I don't know. But, uh, well, I don't know. It's I, I it's think really it's, scary. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a bunch of bad people leading, or I should say a handful of bad people leading a mob of good people. Yeah. Well, a mob of... Maybe people with good, good intentions, yeah. Yeah, well, people... Sna- there's snake oil salesmen on a mass scale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a, it's. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny like about this, but like, it's essential oils. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, I mean that that whole thing, like that's that's uh, alternative science, as they call it, or whatever. Sure. Um, or alternative medicine, whatever the hell. Um, and there may be something to it. You know, it smells good, at least, right? Because <laughs> yeah. essential oils. It smells good. My mom likes it. Helps her go to sleep. She puts some lavender on her pillow. There's some truth to it. But it's not going to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not going to fix every ill. 
And but it's like so they go, well, you know, big, you know, big pharma has been lying to you your whole life or whatever. Just take these oils or eat this root or something. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, that sounds too good to be true. And they're like, it's not too good to be true. Here's like 10 different cases where it worked. Yeah. So you and do it. Like, well, so you do it. Mm-hmm. Hey, go ahead. <laughs> well, and maybe the truth is that there's a little bit of truth in everything. Like maybe essential oils are helpful and maybe immunizations are also helpful. Like why why are you telling me that it's only essential oils, right? Yeah. It's only Nazism that can save Germany. Yeah. It's only Turkification that can save the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And and then but you've it's got these people absolutes. Well, they say, Don't you want don't you want equality? Don't you want everyone to have an equal shot? Yeah. You know? And don't you want women to have, you know, education and stuff? Like what's wrong with you if you don't want that? Of it's course. like well no. You're conflating my interest in those good things with everything else. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, it's it's almost like, okay, so it's like, I go, someone says, do you want equal rights for women? I say, yes. They go, ah, oh, then you're a communist. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah. What? And they say, oh, so you don't want equal rights for women? Well, mm. n- no, no, of course I want them. Of course right. I want them. Well, then you're a communist. And then everyone around you is telling you. Yeah, you know, don't you don't you want Germany to succeed? Exactly. Well, it's of always, course I do. It's always that two sentence system where you completely agree with the first sentence, and then the second sentence comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like, you want to restore Germany and stop inf- massive inflation? Well, uh, yeah, of course I do. I love this country. Oh well, then you're a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Well, how did? It... No. <laughs> well, and then if you say, oh come on, there's got to be another way. Like, no, there's no other way. Right. And it's been decided before and if you stand in our way we're gonna shoot you yeah if you if you question if there's another way then you're the enemy (laughs) yeah but it's so but it's so gross you know it's it's so uh, it's so fucked up that uh, yes they they take advantage of good-hearted people Mm -hmm. they take they take they take advantage of our the better the better parts of us to use us as an arm, a pawn, yeah, a pawn. To, and and the more people they gather, the more, the more heavy they or more powerful they become. The the harder it is to stop that tide, right? Like if each person is a is a drop, eventually they'll have a wave, and mm. you're not going to be able to stop that. No, and what's crazy, peer pressure uh, about all of these. Exactly, what's funny about all of these. And funny is not the right word. What's crazy about all of these mm-hmm. is that they all kind of end the same way. Yep. <laughs> you know, someone's on the run. Uh, and I know I said it in the Goebbels episode. I'm going to say it again. The gods descend. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you can't run from your lies, the the consequence of your lies forever. It's like you got Talat Pasha, you know, yep. on the run. Hitler was literally in a bunker. Yep. Um, children, you know defending him and dying right yeah it's so fucking cowardly it and, is and blind yeah uh, and i mean this is like that this is what the fifth time we've gone through a story like this exactly and i'm sure it's far from the last <laughs> i'm sure it's far from the last yeah so anyway yeah. i think this was a good pairing I think so, too. Robert Catesby, Guy Fox, and Talat Pasha. Yeah. 
That's a good pairing. And I think speaking of uh, that... On accident once again. Yeah, I think speaking of that, we're going to go over to Robert Catesby's End in Death. I think, yeah. Let's, and talk about let's the legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we left Robert Catesby, he had resigned himself to his death. Remember, he... Yeah, the gunpowder plot. fight. The gunpowder plot was figured out. He's going to stand and fight. Steel in hand, you know, he's going to fight him off. Yes. Um, unfortunately, there's only like, I think, five people left with him four or five not many at all Mm -hmm. uh and on the 8th of november three days after the gunpowder plot was foiled uh catesby and his fellow conspirators uh woke up in this house that they'd hidden out in uh to discover that there were 200 english soldiers outside the house they were staying in Mm. and the siege began at 11 um and they attempted to flee because they were horribly outnumbered right uh but they were shot one by one by the 200 attackers Mm -hmm. Uh, Catesby was shot in the doorway of a house, of the house, um, and he crawled back inside and bled out on the floor, clutching a picture of the Virgin Mary. Jeez. (laughs) Very Catholic. Very Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he was buried, but later exhumed and decapitated. They mounted his head on the side of the House of Parliament so that he might become, quote, the sightless spectator of his own failure. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, um, the surviving conspirators were put on trial a few months later. All of them were found guilty, of course, uh, and they were sentenced to death, and just not any fucking death. No, nope, mm. it's the 1600s, okay. so they're dragged around behind horses for a while, um, their feet tied to these ropes, their heads down. And, oh, God. Uh, then they're hanged and quartered, which, if you don't know, it just means they cut their bodies into four pieces with an axe. Uh, pretty horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also... There's also a report that they were castrated alive, too. Oh, God. I know. Uh, Fox wasn't, as far as I can tell, uh, but he was hanged and died instantly because he got lucky enough to break his neck on the noose. Yeah. And they then quartered him, too. Ugh. Um, so as for the legacy, 5th of November was declared a national holiday to celebrate the king's assassination, or escape from assassination. Mm-hmm. Right? So for yeah. years, people burned effigies of Guy Fox and the Pope in oh. celebration of the king's escape. Okay. And then sometime in the 1840s, a book comes out called Guy Fox or The Gunpowder Treason. Hmm. It portrays Fox sympathetically, and rightly so. Um, over the years, Fox transforms from a figure of hatred to a figure of resistance, culminating in his immortal portrayal as uh, V, you know, in V for Vendetta, uh, yep. sort of as a, you know, a symbolic character. Yeah. Uh, which I I watched in honor of Robert Catesby. Yeah. And I know I said it earlier, but holy fuck, that movie is pertinent today. Like, go watch it. Um, when that shit came out, we were like, that'll never happen. And then, you know, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Man. But, of course, we say that'll never happen. It's already happened mm-hmm. many times. Um, but, yeah, no. So, Guy Fox, for example, like, uh, should I, sh- I might even just name the episode Guy Fox just to get people to click. But Yeah. Because um, nobody knows who Robert Catesby is. No. Um, which is weird. But, like... Christ. There was a line, uh... I was looking at lines from the movie. Um... There's yeah. a speech that V gives on TV. Oh, I remember that scene, yeah. Yeah. Um... And I'm gonna read a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh... So, there are, of course, those of us who do not want to speak. I suspect even now orders are being shouted into telephones and men with guns will soon be on their way. Why? Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? 
cruelty and injustice and tolerance and oppression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have censors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. Ugh, Jesus. Mm. Okay. I'll go on just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. Mm -hmm. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There are a myriad of prob problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you. And in your panic, you turn to your now High Chancellor, Adam Sutler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> I kind of need to keep going, then. Yeah. Um, last, and this, the movie begins with, uh, with V blowing up the old Bailey. Yep. Um, last night I sought to end that silence. Last night I destroyed the old Bailey to remind this country of what it has forgotten. More than 400 years ago, a great citizen who wished to embed the 5th of November forever in our memory. Uh, his hope was to remind the world that fairness, justice, and freedom are more than words. They are perspectives. So if you've seen nothing, if the crimes of this government remain unknown to you, then I would suggest you allow the 5th of November to pass unmarked. But if you see what I see, if you feel as I feel, and if you seek, would seek as I seek, then I ask you to stand beside me one year from tonight outside the gates of Parliament, and together we shall give them a 5th of November that shall never, ever be forgotten. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Strength through unity, unity through faith. I am V. At last you know the truth. You're stunned, I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? That beneath this wrinkled, well-fed exterior, there lies a dangerous killing machine with a fetish for Fakisian masks. Viva la revolution. Huh. Awesome. I just... <laughs> it's so fucking true. Yeah. But, oh. I mean, and again, doesn't start with the genocides. It starts with uh, censorship. Yep. It starts with um, stores being boycotted or closed, people being arrested, disappearing in the there, middle of the night. There's also there's always that enemy demographic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, like you said, it's fear. It's like, ah, I'll protect you from war and terror yeah. and disease and... Jesus Christ, and then it's always the opposite. You get in a giant war. Mm, yep, and um, more disease and more genocide and more starvation than you ever had death. before. And and you get you go you go from you go from Well, I don't know how to finish that sentence. It's just the same shit every time. Yep. And fuck, I am so tired of it. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. So we need to talk about Talat Pasha's end in death, don't we? Yeah, well, let's, uh... Yeah, so, okay, let's head over there. So, he's hiding in Germany. Uh, and here, he actually met with a British intelligent agent uh, who interviewed him and wanted to know what the hell he was thinking and how he ran his country. And Talat responded that he wanted to make the Ottoman Empire great again by uniting the whole Muslim world behind him. And the best way to do that is to kill the minorities whom the Muslims have always hated and fight the British and French whom the Muslims have also not always gotten along with. Um, and then he also threatened that he would return to power and succeed in uniting the entire Islamic world. Now, I just want to say that that we're not anti-Muslim here. This is what he said. And just fill that gap with or fill that word in with anything, you know, you want to unite the whole German world or the oh, whole, yeah. 
want to want to reunite that that Holy Roman Empire and or the bring the German speaking people back in. Yeah. Yep. Or the working class or uh-huh. whatever. Yeah. So thankfully, um, he he doesn't live much longer because the yeah. Armenians are fucking pissed. Um, right. And a group of Armenian nationalists and assassins uh, they come up with Operation Nemesis, which is named after the Greek goddess of divine retribution. That is hardcore. Which just reminds me of what you said, like the gods descend, and the here gods comes. Descend. Hey, Greek, how about that? Yeah. Like, here's the <laughs> Greek goddess of divine retribution. So the goal. Okay, of, hold on, hold yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that God's Descent thing from a book called That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis. Yes. I know I've probably talked about it before, but if you, Christian or not, go read that book. It mm. captures perfectly how a totalitarian state takes over. Yeah. Um, yep. It's preachy. It's preachy in places because it is, it's a book written for Christians, I think. Um, strictly, not strictly for Christians, but it's written by a Christian, right? Yeah. Go, uh, fu- he fucking nails it. He gets it <laughs> down to a T. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so at the end, the gods descend, like literally the gods descend and, um, basically nature wins, takes over. Like you, the lie gets found out because it's so obviously a mask, a lie masquerading as the truth. Yeah. Know? So it takes care of itself. It's the snake eating itself or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah. So carry on. I'm sorry. No, this no, is that's... Operation Nemesis. Yeah. So, uh, the goal of the operation was basically to kill everybody behind the organization of the Armenian genocide. Uh, meanwhile, Russian and British intelligence found out where Talat Pasha was hiding, but neither side wanted to make a move to apprehend him because this might upset relations with Germany, uh, and the war's just over, so right. no one really wants a big disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, instead, the British government decides to hand over the intel to the Armenian revolutionaries and just kind of let them decide what should be done. Um... And, of course, uh, the Armenians take that immediately. And one Armenian by the name of... Probably gonna fuck this up, but it is Selgoman Telerian, something like that. Mm-hmm. He finds Talat Pasha first. And Telerian shadowed Talat for several days in order to study his daily routine. And con- confirm that this was the guy. Wow. Can you imagine that shit? You're, yeah. you're an Armenian. Your people have been killed by the in the millions. Yeah. You find the guy who did it. Yes. It would take everything you had to shadow him. I mean, you would see him and you'd be like, I can't fucking believe it's him. Yep. Well, and then... Yeah. Uh, and he he rented up an apartment uh, across the road from him just to make sure that this was the guy. Like, props to him for not, not just killing him first time you saw him. Like, because who knows? Yeah. It could be an innocent guy. No, right. but he's he's shadowing him for days in order to know. Yeah. Uh, and also Tellurian, I can't remember if this Armenian, if he suffered the Holocaust or the genocide or whatever, yeah, he either lived through it or he had family members who lived through it or both. I can't remember. I'm looking it up. But we he's gotta di- find out. Yeah, he's directly influenced by it. Here's a picture of him. Looks like a badass son of a bitch. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see here. He was in Valjevo, Serbia in 1914. Made his way to Russia, joined the army to serve on the fight against the Turks. Fought against the Turks. Okay, so that's right. Um, I didn't mention this, but Russia gave weapons to about a hundred... Holy fuck! What? He lost 85 family members to the genocide. Jesus Christ. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's... Okay. 
So he's got 85 So he personal. has a debt to pay. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. And he still, he still fucking waits to make sure this is the guy. Like, what a hero. Ugh. Anyway, oh, so what I was going to say earlier is that Russia armed about 100,000 Armenians to defend themselves against the Turks. So good for them. Anyway. Are you, you done? You ready? Sorry, I was Googling Talat Pasha. Um, I wanted to see how his name was spelled. Carry on, sorry. So, okay, on the morning of March 15th, 1921, as Talat Pasha left his home to go on his way, Talirian shadowed him from across the street. Then Talirian crossed the street. He passed Talat uh, in order to make sure it was him. One final test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he spun around, placed a luger to the back of Talat's neck, and shot him. Uh, Talat was killed instantly. Holy shit. Then Talirian, Talirian... I'm sorry, this is like Hitler walking free in America somewhere. Yes, yes, exactly. Christ. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he shot him. And then he waits there. He, he doesn't flee the scene. He waits there for German police to apprehend him. Uh, and he's, he's, he goes to court, but the court decides that uh, on, re- on reason of temporary insanity caused huh. by the horrors of all his family's deaths, he's let go. Which wow. is justice, I think. <laughs> like, that is perfect. It is, isn't it? Like, the whole world is like, okay, yeah, he's insane. Yep. But a bad guy got justice and he took a bullet through the neck yeah it's not enough but no it's not but at least he's dead so uh as hands of an armenian yeah yeah so as for mehmed talat pasha he's one of the worst fucking human beings to have ever existed obviously and thankfully he's usually portrayed as so um even the turks generally hate this guy albeit for getting them involved in world war one rather than the genocides Uh uh-huh and there are still roads named after him in Turkey and Cyprus, so there's that. Uh, Christ. Um, but Talat Peshaw was the guy behind the whole Armenian genocide, and probably the Greek and Assyrian genocides as well. And, and for ruining his country even more, because I think like 5 million Turks died in World War I. Um, also, his methods were basically copied step by step by the Nazis some years later. So That's fuck so this guy. Crazy. Yeah. And also, uh, I think the world, I think it's time to step up, like, as the world, and recognize the Armenian genocide for what it was, a genocide. Yeah. Right? This needs to happen, people. It's been over a hundred years. Talat Pasha said that it was systematic. I'm sure there are conspiracies and shit out there, but no. (laughs) No. I mean, it's genocide. (laughs) It's a genocide. And then the evidence is overwhelming, too. Yes. I mean... Uh, I didn't even hint at it in my... In this podcast episode. Go look it up for yourself. The pictures are horrific. The stories well, are bone-chilling. Like... I'm gonna do what I did with, uh... With Lysenko. I'm gonna look at photos. Oh, God. Okay. What the fuck? Yep. Just Google Armenian genocide and... Oh Again, God. April 24th, I believe, is the oh, day of remembrance. Here, here's, a, here's a mass grave they dug up. Oh, dear. April 24th, sorry. Um, was yeah, the... Yeah, the, April 24th is the Armenian Genocide Remembrance Day, which I think people need to know about. Yeah. Wow. 
There's just so many fucking pictures. They crucified girls. Oh, God. There's pictures of girls on crosses. Jesus <sighs> Christ. Yeah. Real well, history. <laughs> here's a comic of uh, Erdogan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Probably not. Standing on a pile of skulls saying, What genocide? Mm. What Armenians? Sweet Jesus. All right, that's enough. That's enough. It really happened. Yep. And we don't talk about it enough, unfortunately. Nope. And most of the world still denies that it was a genocide. It may have happened, but it wasn't a genocide. I'm sorry, but if it's called the Armenian <laughs> genocide, Ugh. and it was the persecution of Armenians, I mean, if it was the persecution of a specific group, Mm-hmm. And they were killed by the hundreds of thousands into no. the millions. There's no other fucking word for it. No. You call it an accident? Mm. I mean, what the... F- no, it was systematic butchering, and that's a genocide. Christ almighty. Well, that that is why we need people like Guy Fox. Yeah, pretty much. Really. It is. Yeah. It is. And at the risk of sounding like I sprang from 4chan. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, Guy Fox is a good symbol um, of for what you should do when you're being run by a tyranny. And um, Robert Kate, Kate Speed, too. And Kate Speed. Yep. The two of them, I mean... The whole group. The whole group. They stood up. Yeah. And then they, I mean, they even got caught. They were martyrs for the cause. Yeah. But think about it. They're immortal. Yeah. As a result. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, uh, you know, any resistance group in Nazi Germany. Yep. It's like, people are heroes. That's the hardest thing to do. Yes. (laughs) That is the hardest thing to do when your friends, neighbors, your country Mm -hmm. is saying, all saying the same thing. And you say, wait a second. No. No. Yep. Or, I mean, nowadays, it's, and even back then, it's like, even if you said, wait a second, you're counter-revolutionary. You're gone. Yeah. You're gone. But, like, yeah, the gods will descend. That's just, that's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So, maybe that's why people always talk about Jesus coming back, like, at the end of all these wars and things. <laughs> yeah. like, maybe that's the same thing. They're like, he'll come back and, and put things in order. Uh, I don't know. I, I prefer know. the gods will descend. That's more interesting. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> To me, a little bit more powerful. Same. That's probably because I'm a pagan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, I'm not a pagan. Uh, James is, though. Armenian assassins, at least. uh, Oh, fuck. They need to make a movie about that guy. Like... Oh, Christ. I was sure... By the time I got to that when I was researching, I was cheering. Like, finally, Justice. It's... Mm. uh, Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, I've got to go to work and... 20 minutes <laughs> okay well i'll let you be then we'll close out this episode let's uh let's head to the surface shall we i guess we should <laughs> so james yes what are you gonna do for the rest of the day i'm going to go into my garage grab the sledgehammer and then go throughout the village Smashing every video camera I can find. <laughs> or security camera, I mean. 
Ah, uh, you might get a few in before you get arrested. Yeah, well, I'll be wearing the Guy Fox, Fox mask, so. All right. <laughs> well, hey, at the end of the movie, it's a whole bunch of Guy Fox people in masks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Even yeah. dead people, by the way. Oh. Um, people who died throughout the movie. Huh. Um, and uh, so if there's two of us, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, and we could put one on Pickles, too. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think Pickles might be a, a communist revolutionary. That's I don't true. trust him. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely behind everything. You know, I was thinking about uh, Joe McCarthy mm. um, and how f- how much fun of him we made. Yeah. Um, how much we made fun of him for for <laughs> for being yeah. a a communist watchdog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but I guess I understand his fear yeah. of totalitarianism and, you know, of the day that was communism. Sure. I mean, and, uh, his replacement wasn't much better in my opinion, but still, his re- yes. Was his replacement? What, like, kind of that very strong, well, the re- the old republicanism of the day is just, uh-huh. it was kind of imperialistic in my opinion, but. Oh, okay. Oh, whatever. Nice. Look at you having nuanced political opinions over here. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Whoa. You're, you're a, you're <laughs> a goddamn fence sitter, is what you are. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, well, the worst uh, type of person. The absolute worst. You yes. goddamn fence sitter. Yeah. Nope. You know, uh, you'll be the first to go. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> I pray so. <laughs> I pray so as well, as you know. (laughs) I I wish to be rid of you. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Okay. Well, I think it's... What? What are you going to do for the rest of the day? What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to close this show. Ah. And then I think I might go stare out over the lake. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, This was a hell of a show. This Uh, was. What what an episode. What a fucking episode. Wow. Okay, well... Uh, I think we may have to make this another two-weeker, because this is long. We, we might have to. We might have to. But, of course, you know, if we do that, we'll, ha- we'll get to do another fake episode. That's true. Which would be fun, and, of course, people have liked that, so... Uh, all right. But anyway, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate mail to WeTalkAboutDeadPeoplePodcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not a lot. Uh, and if you don't want to send emails because you're not 95, uh, you can find us on Twitter at uh, WTADPPodcast. WTADP. Uh, send us a tweet. Follow us. We'll follow you probably. We're trying to do that weird thing where we follow everyone so they follow us. So there you go. Um, if you like us, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. We actually got a new patron a little while back. Oh, um, did we? Yes. Uh, let me Google. Oh, my Google God. Oh, my God. So we can give this guy a call out by name. Yes. I he think it. Uh, he does. He deserves it. All of our patrons deserve it. You know, they, they just, they're just so, they're just so wonderful. They fill me with such joy. <laughs> you know, just to know that people are paying for this shit makes me so happy. Oh, yeah. So let's look, uh, dashboard. Patrons, we should, we should have a Patreon reward for, for cuddling. Like, if you give ten bucks, <laughs> we'll cuddle with you. <laughs> On the couch, yep. Oh! Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we got, uh, what we get? This week we got Stephen. Stephen, you son of a bitch! What a we guy. love you, Stephen. You do. are the man, man. Yep. Uh, any any words of advice for Stephen? Uh, well, Stephen's picture is of a dog, and oh. well, he doesn't need any advice. He's got he it. Doesn't all. it? He's got the dog. He's a uh, hell of a he's man. A, he's a good Christian man. <laughs> 
a good, a good Englishman. A good, well, thank you for contributing to the show, Stephen. We do, we do very much appreciate your contribution. Yes, um, and uh, well, You're to others of you who may join the ranks of our patrons. Um, we Your love intellect and honor and chivalry outshines the brightest stars. <laughs> well, anyway, if you want to give it to us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people, even as little as a dollar. As much as it costs to buy a shitty Guy Fox mask, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted uh, Ian Patterson, the Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of resistance to tyranny play you out.